on the phone. Did he say anything about the five students that are missing? This is Kurt Rector from House of Death, and you're listening to The Hysteria Continues. Yeah, welcome back to Hysteria Continues. Um, and this week we are going to be concentrating on House of Death, a.k.a. Death Screams, um, the slasher movie from 1981 that's released in 1982. Um, we'll come on to that shortly. Um, it's, my name's Justin um, from the um, Hysteria Lives, and um, joined again, as ever, by Joseph. Moshi Moshi, Watashi wa Joseph Des. Very impressive. And how's your Japanese, Eric? <laughs> I have to come up with new intros every time. <laughs> how's your Japanese, Eric? My Japanese is poor, so I just say, it's Misha, Eric, which is, I am Eric in Irish. Fantastic. And Nathan, what are you going to wow us with? Greetings, everyone. And that is British. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, um, we'd be really pleased. We've actually had some feedback. We've been looking for some feedback and we've actually started getting it. So thank you for all those who've been listening, um, both new listeners and old. Um, and a shout out to a few people. Um, there's a guy called Mick Huckle. Um, Mick Hucknell? Said, Mick Huckle, not Mick Hucknell, I don't think. <laughs> I can't, if I'm reading my handwriting right. Um, yeah. And he says, keep going with the podcast chaps. They're getting funnier and more enlightening every time I listen. So it's the kind of feedback we like. Um, mm. There's also Curtis Dalton, who um, on the um, Hysteria Lives Facebook page has been adding some really, or has been adding really good um, old school adverts from Slash Movies back in the 80s. Um, and he says, I'm loving your podcast. Please keep them coming. And, of course, there's also Meep. Uh, shout out to Meep from the Body Count Continues um, forums. Uh, he says he's not a fan of the House of Death, which is controversial, but he says he is a fan of the Syria Continues. <gasps> so that's, that's that good stuff. Me. Sorry? <laughs> okay. And anyone else get any feedback? I think, Joseph, you've got um, some feedback from someone. Yes. Um, also want to give a shout out to uh, Nigel and uh, Body Boy. Uh, they seem to be pretty good ardent fans so uh, there's your shout out um uh i got one from a guy named jonathan knight it says i've listened to all five of your podcasts so far and love them you guys keep me engaged each podcast and i keep coming back for more because you keep it funny fresh and interesting and he listed his top three guilty pleasure slashers talked about a few shows ago and they are don't go in the woods silent night deadly night part two and dr giggles so i thought that was pretty interesting excellent all right, and uh, if you want to send some feedback, we are really wanting more. You know, we're attention whores, I guess. Uh, that is the hysteria continues at gmail.com. Now, there are periods between each word, so that's the hysteria.continues at gmail.com, and you can contact us on the forums. Uh, we have Facebook pages, so uh, yeah, send what you got. Excellent. Yeah, we, yeah we, call them, we call them full stops. I think yes. don't we don't we Justin we do it's it's yes. a pan global um <laughs> grammar sort of yes <laughs> so yeah well before what we're going to do we've got a really fun show lined up for for everyone um we're going to in a minute we're going to come on to our favorite um sort of audio clips um basically some some scary maybe some fun some cheesy clips of dialogue from some of our favorite slasher movies um, and we're going to try and guess um, each one's to see if we can work out what they are. So that should be fun. Um, but before we start that, um, it's been sort of customary to talk about some of the kind of slasher movies we've seen recently. Um, guys, what have you been watching? How about you, Joseph? Uh, I saw Rubber, uh, 
which was terrible. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, the problem with the movie is that it's very, very, very boring. Nothing happens except it basically rolls around the desert and it'll come upon like, let's say, a beer bottle and it'll sit there for about five minutes and then it'll finally decide to, ooh, I'm going to roll over it and I'm going to crush it. Mm-hmm. And then like five minutes later, you'll have these people sitting out in the desert just staring off into the, to the distance with uh, binoculars uh, saying, ooh, the tire just crashed a bottle. It just crushed a bottle. And um, eventually the tire ends up killing a few people, but what it does is it shakes and then someone's head explodes and they keep using the same uh, bit over and over to for their kill sequences. And the the premise is really interesting, I think, but the problem is just it's nothing happens. It's it's an hour and like 22 minutes long, and it's, it's just really boring. And it has the problem of talking down to the audience and sucking its own dick at the same time. Uh, it has an intro where this guy's like, okay, the movie you're about to see is one of the best movies you'll ever see about nothing. Things happen for no reason. And, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's basically saying how uh, I are killing people, and if you don't get it, it's you're stupid. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's a movie I was really, really, really thinking was going to be interesting because of its weird subject matter, but it turned out to be just boring and pretty forgettable. It's a shame because it looked quite interesting. The trailer was fun as well. It looks kind of like a you know slasher movie with a tire, which kind of you know looked like it was pretty quirky. But uh, it's a shame it doesn't live up to um, its potential. No, not at all. No. Okay. Um, how about you guys, um, Nathan, Eric? Anything to report? I saw um, thanks to Eric and Joseph. Actually, I watched The Victim, nineteen seventy two, with Elizabeth Montgomery. Mm. And it was an uh, interesting movie. Um, it's about her sister is um, going through a divorce, and she calls Elizabeth, and Elizabeth decides to go out there and stay with her at her house in the country uh, one stormy night. And by when the, she gets there, her sister's gone. And, you know, basically uh, strange things starts happening around the house, you know, weird noises, noises coming from the basement. And I thought it was actually a really good, suspenseful movie, but I have to admit, the ending was very anticlimactic for me. I mean, after it went off, I was, you know, saying, is that it? I mean, that's all there is to the ending. I won't spoil it, obviously, but, the you know, I mean, it's definitely better than the ending, I think. Exactly. The buildup was worth, you know, a, a bad ending, but, you know, it's still a good movie. It's worth a watch, for sure. Excellent. Is that a TV movie, did you say? Maybe. Yes. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's also known as um, it's out of contention. It's known as yes, yeah. we watched. Um, yeah. yeah, that's actually the title the, of the one we watched. Yeah, that was the UK release. Yeah, cool, cool. Because there was um, I don't know if you guys have seen any of the thriller, the Brian Clemens. Uh, oh yeah, oh, TV yeah. movies because a lot of those it just sounds like a bit like that with the American sort of usually get an American star. I think um, Linda Day George was in one of them actually, and um, you know, a Women in Peril. Um, uh, one of the best ones is I'm the girl he wants to kill, which has got a fantastic uh, thing of a woman with massive Deirdre Bardo glasses running around an office block being chased by Psycho, um, mm. which is very suspenseful, um, which is very it's good a fantastic film. fantastic movie. I yeah, think. That's, that's a good film. How about you, Eric? Have you been watching it? Okay. Yeah, I've caught up with two um, uh, 3D movies in 2D because I've, I've rented them on DVD. One of them is Saw 7, uh, which I finally caught up with. I've seen the first six in the cinemas. This one I skipped, but uh, I rented it the other day. And, I mean, it's just more of the same, really, except it, it before with the Saw films, the traps and the setup were completely ridiculous, but the 
the gore and the, the grew was quite realistic. But in this case, they've gone really over the top with everything. Um, I felt like at times I was watching an early 80s Italian video nasty at times because there's just ridiculous amounts of um, intestines flying into people's faces and things. Uh, if you're a fan of the Saw series, it's just, as I said, it's more of the same. You're going to enjoy it. I mean, I was I was pleasantly surprised that I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I mean, it's, it's nice and brief. And it's subtitled, well, it's called Saw 3D in cinemas, Saw 7 in pre-production. It's called Saw the Final Chapter on DVD. But, I mean, I think it's far from the final chapter. I think we all learned our lesson with Friday the 13th. Yeah. Uh, it ends cryptically and it ends very much in the same manner as all the other episodes in the series did. Um, but as I said, mm, half decent. I'd give it a, maybe a 6 out of 10. The other one I saw... The other, the other one I saw was My Soul to Take. Mm. Um, now, this is, I think this has divided people, or am I wrong? But I thought it was hideous. Thank you. Oh, yes, thank you. It <laughs> yeah. was. It, it screamed studio interference all over it. It just, it, it had no um, cohesive central sort of thrust to the storyline. I didn't know what, you know, who to root for or what. And it had this weird hero character who's, um, the souls of his dead friends sort of possess him in the same way they do in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Um, and I can tell that the only reason this was um, post-converted into 3D for cinemas was because I imagine the distributor saw it and thought, oh my God, how on earth are we going to make our money back with this pile of crap? So they put, um, you know, they threw 3D at it to try and sell it in the cinemas, although that failed as well. But I mean, I was watching it and I was like, there's nothing in this film that would make me want to... No, that makes it, um, you know, viable to be in 3D. It's like, why? Uh, it's another Wes Craven turkey. Right. Because it was one of the films that got, it was done, put to 3D afterwards, wasn't it? It wasn't mentioned yeah. in 3D. And it's, it's a kind conversion. Of, yeah. yeah. But as I said, I think the conversion was done as a way to try and save the film. Right. Yeah. Um, because it's, the, yeah, it's, uh, it's all, it's just so bl- uh, meh. There was discussion on the forums about yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good Man one to put in that one. Yeah, that, that would fit perfectly into it. Um, yeah, didn't like it at all. Okay, it's a real cool. turkey. Cool. Yes. Well, I'd say a couple of films that I've um, seen. Well, one's a, a new film, one's a not-so-new film. One's the um, it's Cold Prey 3, which is the third of the Norwegian slasher um, uh, franchise, which um, I'm a big fan of them. If you haven't seen the Cold Prey films, they're, they're really worth seeing, especially um, the second one, which is uh, basically, without giving too much away, it's, um, it's a story of a, a, a little boy who grows up to be a psycho in Norway in the snowy wastes, and he inhabits his hotel, a bit like The Shining, I kind of guess. Um, in the first film, a load of snowboarders get, um, stumble across the hotel and get dispatched by him. Um, and the second film picks up um, immediately after that, and it has the final girl from the first film being taken to hospital, um, but also the killer's dead body, or dead body in inverted commas, being taken to hospital. He comes back to life and essentially does Halloween 2, 1981, much better than Rob Zombie did to Halloween 2 um, a couple of years ago. Um, and the third one is actually a prequel, and it's set in 1988, so what you have is a group of horny um, pot-smoking teens going out into the woods for for sex and relaxation and drinking. And guess what happens? Um, they run around in Smith's t-shirts listening to massive great um, Sonny Waltmans and get killed off one by one. Um, it, so- it sounds, sorry, Justin, it sounds like yeah. blood tracks, is it? 
It's it's not as cheesy as Blood Tracks. It's really suspenseful, actually. The one of the things that I really like about the Cold Prey films is um, they are gory. They've got a bit of gore to them, but they don't go down the boring saw torture porn route. They are actually um, they're really suspenseful. And this one's done. It's, it's loads of really really good suspenseful sequences in it. Um, it's not quite as good as the second one, um, but it's definitely worth seeing if it when it comes out or if it comes out. Um, the other film I saw is an altogether much cheesier or knowingly cheesy um, film from two th- uh, from the year two thousand, which is Psycho Beach Party. Um, oh, I don't know if you guys I'm, have seen that. I'm sorry, I love that movie. It is great. I've seen <laughs> it loads of times. It's um, it's uh, it's basically a mixture of fifties um, monster movie, sixties beach party movie, and seventies slasher movie. Um, and it's written by Charles Bush, who um, who basically uh, plays a policewoman in drag in the film, investigating um, murders uh, amongst a bunch of surfers and beatniks in um, on the Californian coastline in 1962. Um, it's a really good fun film. It's got, I mean, it's it's very cheesy, uh, but it's in- incredibly entertaining. It's it's um, you know it's definitely worth seeing. But you say you've seen it, Nathan. Yeah, I love uh, it's got quotable dialogue. Me and my friend Melissa quote that movie all the time. Don't tell me how to handle my man's flippity floppity baby. I grease up the cake pan, throw it in the oven, and like the batter raw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I you, like that movie. So, as you, well. so, so you've seen it a few times. Yeah, yeah I have. <laughs> I think it was underrated. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it came out and it had a lot of hype because it was like the first uh, beach party slasher film. And then it just kind of fell by the wayside, and I don't think a lot of people gave it a chance. And it's that's really true. entertaining if you can if you yeah. find a copy. If you like Serial Mom, or it's kind of probably the the closest to a John Waters slash movie that isn't Serial Mom, um, and it's definitely worth catching. I mean, it's it's just a lot of good. It's a you know really good time, and you know maybe we'll come back to and talk a bit more about it at some point in the show. So, um, um, should we should we head on to um, our top threes, guys? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. Well, what we've done, as I said before, and actually just as a trailer is coming up, um, we're going to be talking about House of Death um, a little bit later, and Joseph's been playing stalker cross um, detective par excellence, and he's got interviews with two of the cast of House of Death. So we've got those coming up, So um, and they're well worth listening to. Um, but before we get to that, what we're going to do is top three, kind of talking about quotable dialogue, um, and each of us have chosen three um, bits of dialogue that we want to um, uh, play for you, and um, we're all going to try and guess actually what they are. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, without further ado, I shall start with the um, the first one, and I think go with Joseph's first. So this is Joseph's number three. demon you'll feel a lot better after you shit <laughs> i feel a lot better when i'm out of here this shit box is gross well you better watch out for the snake that's gonna crawl up that crapper and bite your ass <laughs> Ooh, 
baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Hey girl, what's up? Hey! Okay. I told you this isn't funny. Now you're gonna get it, bitch. Uh, Joseph. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I like one of my um, favorites. If you listen to the very end, you can actually hear his zipper being pulled up. You can. You can. <laughs> but again, he didn't um, do the hygienic procedures, just like Harold in part three. It, there's something about the Friday Thirteenth movies where they dump and run, don't they? But I suppose they, if you're you're going to be being killed by Jason, then it's you're probably you know the niceties of hygiene are probably last on your mind. But um, <laughs> why, why did you enjoy that one, or why did you pick that uh, as your number three? It should have been oh, your yes. number two, really, shouldn't it, Joseph? But um, oh, boom, boom, <laughs> boom, boom, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I make no apologies for this, but Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. A New Beginning is my all-time favorite Friday the 13th film. It's entertaining through the whole thing. And I don't know, that scene, it, it, it's, just so, it's just so weird and so bizarre. Uh, you, you get this minute-long shit scene with um, Miguel Nunez just basically going, Oh! And then they break into this uh, R&B kind of, Ooh, baby! And it's just so strange. <laughs> I just had to include it. it, it it's... I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's, it's great. A, it's a strange I, idea of romance, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I can't believe you didn't go with Billy and Lana, Joseph. <gasps> oh, no. It's showtime. <laughs> Lana! Damn it. Excellent, excellent. Girl, you are so hot. <laughs> that's what I say, that's, this way, smarty. That's what I say to the mirror every night. <laughs> Right. Well, thank you, Joseph. You're number three. Now I'm going to go next only because it's the way I've got them lined up on soundboard. So, um, so, but funnily enough, um, this is my number three. Well, I, I'm Mrs. Voorhees, an old friend of the Christie's. Yes. Well, uh, can you guess that? Sanity. Well, that's a hard one. That's a very difficult <laughs> one, Justin. I've seen that. It sounds pretty good, though. Yeah, yeah. sounds good. 
Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I, it's obviously <laughs> from the original Friday the 13th. Now, if you, in case you're wondering why it kicked into the theme from Friday the 13th Part 3, um, then that's because I took uh, my clips from uh, a project I've been working on for many a year. It's something um, I told the guys about uh, recently, and it's something I've talked about for doing for years and years and years. It's um, basically a 60-minute mixtape of slasher movie dialogue and songs, which I dubbed Saturday Night Cleaver. Um, and it's now uh, pretty much ready, so that's why it's got um, the uh, the song from Friday Thirteen Part Three Three D coming in at the end of that bit of dialogue. I do realise that they're not from the same movie, but um, that's why it was cut together like that. But uh, I do love, I love, love, love the first film and Mrs. Voorhees. Um, uh, she's just fantastic and I've always said like I love her teeth like tombstones um, she's the right mixture of cheese and teeth and horror and terror <laughs> and everything and chunking it where it just it just works um, and not one of the criticisms but some of the feedback I've had from some people of sort of saying are we are we actually going to cover any of the bigger films um, like Friday the 13th and I um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I do want to cover some of the, the bigger films and I think we will get round to doing it. But um, certainly when I set up Hysteria Lives and I have I did cover the bigger films, um, but actually some of the joy was looking at the films that don't get any love, sometimes for very good reason. But um, that's why we I think we started with some slightly smaller films or little, uh, little less well-known films, but we will get around to some of the big guns soon. Um so, um, without further ado, shall I move on to yours, Nathan? Your number three? Yeah. Here he comes. Sorry, Pa. <laughs> Laugh. Damn it, you can't sing. <laughs> I hope you die. <laughs> okay, I don't know that one. I'm not sure if oh, I do. Um, Have I stumped you? Possibly. Yeah. It, it sounds familiar. It's not, it's not the mutilator, is it? No, no. But that was Buck Flower speaking. I hope you die. It's a. Uh, do you want to take it a guess, Eric? Before I reveal it, hmm, I'm trying to think of Buck Flower movies. All I can think of are John Carpenter ones. So I'm guessing it's oh. not any of them. So I give uh, that. Is it Dana Kimmel? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, from Cheerleader Camp. Uh, I've never seen Cheerleader Camp. Oh, I've seen oh you're it a missing long time out. Ago. Oh, you're missing out. It's great. I might have to pick it one. One time. Um, yeah, I will write it thing, down on my little pad here. <laughs> <laughs> one uh, thing about that scene is it's just, I mean, really the dialogue is funny, but it's funnier if you actually see it because the look on his face when he says that line is hilarious too. Because he says it to this guy because the guy tripped and fell over him. And then he gets that overdramatic, you know, I hope you die just for falling on him. So, I mean, that's why I picked that one. <laughs> it's not as good as Buck Flowers' uh, criminally insane, my God. Yeah, but, but you have to see that scene, though, to get the My God scene. Well, you have to see both of them, I think. Yeah, but at least I hope you die. It sounds funnier. You're, you're correct on this one. <laughs> okay. No, it sounds... It sounds on um, this one. It's, it's definitely... I, I agree, Eric, should uh, check out the film out. I, I will. I've seen it for years and years and years, but um, I have got it... Uh, sat, I can see it on a shelf. Oh, Eric, there. Um, this movie is a fashion parade nightmare. Oh, so my you, gosh. You will enjoy it. You will Love enjoy it. it. <laughs> oh, definitely, yes. It's a parade of bad fashions. Fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. Well, talking, uh, coming on to Eric, I'm sure we may come on to some fashion talk, so... We will. Here, here we go. Yeah. 
This is Lanier College College. There's been a multiple shooting on the campus quadrangle. Sir, listen. Several students have been shot and kidnapped in a brown van. You've got to get out of here. It's happening. The psychopaths are here. Did you see that? It was horrible. They shot at us. It was murder, cold-blooded murder and kidnapping. I almost got killed and some other people were shot. You'll be laughing. Didn't you see what happened? Yes, I saw it. But I also saw that the van had a Gamma Fraternity sticker on the back window. Oh. Radish. Can we guess? Final Radish. exam. Yes, it was an easy one. That was from the final that, exam. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, with, with a very, um, very well, slightly or very camp radish. Yeah, I have. Um, what was the word I've written down here? Um, campus Christmas radish. I have. <laughs> yes, um, that was him delivering the classic line: "The psychopaths are coming." Uh, our psychopaths are here. Whatever he says, and then that pudding bowl girl who comes up and delivers her line of dialogue, sort of without pause. I love her. She's like, "How awful! Didn't you see what happened? Oh my god!" <laughs> and there's some links actually isn't there to um house of death um with uh, am i right in thinking that um house of death is made by the same people well so kind of the same place as um as uh, final exam in north i believe carolina. final exam was shot in north carolina but i mm -hmm. don't think it was the same people i think there uh, might have been a couple of people were in it there was a discussion we might get to later but um uh, I did sort of see, I think it's Bleeding Skull did a, uh, a commentary track for House of Death, which I watched, and they were pointing out people in the film um, that were in Final Exam, but then they also said um, the killer was in, uh, Final Exam was in House of Death, which we've disproved, so I'm not that entirely sure if they're right. definitely not true. No, no, so. Okay, well, thank you, Eric. We've got more goodness coming up, and here's Joseph's number two. This boy's been dead for several hours. None of these wounds are fatal. It must have been a long and slow death. I'd say simply from loss of blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Anyone that. want to guess? Yeah, no, it's, um, oh god, what is that film? It's the uh, Nelgun Massacre. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Oh. It's, uh, I love the music. <laughs> have you not seen it, Eric? <laughs> I have seen it, yeah, but I, I've okay. only seen it once, so I don't, didn't recall the, the dialogue. It's, uh, it, that is a lot of fun, isn't it? It's a lot of... Yes, I mean, it's, uh, I saw, this movie I was, is just chock full of quotable lines, uh, terrible music. It's one of the best bad movies ever made, and that whole dramatic pause... It must have been a long and slow death. I'd say simply from loss of blood. <laughs> Can I urge everyone to go check out your, your review of it on Hysteria Lives, Joseph? Because it's actually yes, really, I gave it really five funny. Star. Yeah, I know, but the, yeah, first, the first half of the review, and then he pulled the rug from underneath everyone with the sort of second half of the review. <laughs> oh, yes. I was fooled. I was completely fooled. Were you? Okay. <laughs> It's like, I'm glad it fooled you. I, it really wasn't my intention. I mean, I was just joking, but if it fooled you, cool. Well, no, I read, in fairness, I did read the review before I saw the film. So I was like, oh, oh my God, if this film is this good, I must get it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, it's that good. It is that good. It is but, that good. But for all the wrong reasons. And it's, I'm sure it's a film we will turn up time time again on the podcast. So uh, thank you for your number two, Joseph. And I've mm -hmm. got one talking of stilted dialogue. Uh, I think Eric might enjoy this one. Ooh. Yes, it's calm, but it's certainly far away from everything. Well, what do you know? Right beside mine. Not bad, huh? Wouldn't if you're not superstitious about numbers. 
You mean number 13? No problem. That's not all. A girl in the very same bungalow was murdered brutally in her bed. Honestly, how gruesome. That's a bit far-fetched. No, I heard about it. It's a fact. The killer used a pair of scissors and just kept stabbing her. I'll have nightmares if you go on telling all your horror stories. You've quite a repertoire of chilling tales. I don't tell chilling tales. Say, maybe we could talk a little about something else, like when everyone eats around here. I'm dying for a decent meal, not a nightmare. I love it. <laughs> I thought you might like that. That was like Bloody Moon. It's Bloody Moon again, bloody yes. Moon, yes, Bloody <laughs> Moon. I knew what it was. I was like, that's Bloody Moon again. <laughs> the endlessly quotable dialogue from the... Oh, I, I mean, I, I could have chosen moon. anything from Bloody Moon. I didn't in the end because um, I included it last week. But it, it is, as you say, there's just so much to choose from in there. There's some, something special about cheesy European films trying to be American mm. films and the dialogue being spoken by non-English speaking people. And it just has that fantastic, weird quality that sometimes doesn't, it sounds, they don't know what they're saying, it's the intonation sometimes all over the place. Um, and yes, what a wonderful, twisted, whacked out film uh, Bloody Moon is. And from the Jesus, uh, it's like the genius crossed with cheese, Jesus, um, uh, Jesus Franco, um, who uh, I must admit I don't actually have much time for the rest of his films. But Bloody Moon is is a bloody good treat. So that so, film yeah. is an ADR nightmare. I think <laughs> dubbing, really bad dubbing. It's just yeah. it's hilarious. I love it's, it. It's fantastic, fantastic. So yeah, that was my good number pick, two. Good pick. Thank you. And Nathan, here's your number two. At first, all they noticed was a strange. Huh? Awful. They knew. In the woods, before the night was over, painful cry. In the thick forest, a low moan. Sitting around the campfire, each one knew that before the night was over, someone would be torn apart by the blood-starved monster. <laughs> Each night, they came searching. They knew before the night was over. What's that? Huh? One by one, campers were found with eyes, ears, ripped out. Oh, I think we've heard enough of that story. Uh, wait. Huh? Do you smell something? Yeah. Strange. God. Oh. oh. Awful. It sounds like the, all the, the, every person who's ever worked for John Waters all sat around uh, campfire. <laughs> is it? Is it? Um, don't go into the woods. That's it. It's, it's the yeah. worst ghost story that I've ever heard. <laughs> it sounds like you know, he's reading off. Part, yeah, it sounds like he's a, reading off the, um, the altar cue. Do you smell something? <laughs> <laughs> you have to be quiet to smell. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> the point there. 
Fantastic. And I like how he, you know, at the end of a ghost story, you know, the classic thing to do is to scream and scare everybody. Well, he does it in the middle of his ghost story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Campers were found with eyes and ears ripped out. <laughs> it's a horrible ghost story in a really bad movie, but just like Nailgun Massacre, it's a very fun movie. And anybody that's listening that hasn't seen it, you should seek it out. It's hilarious. It's entertaining. Um, yes, very entertaining. Yes, seek it out so you can destroy yet another copy. That's my my opinion. Just it. <laughs> well, no, no, it's it's I, you know, I am going back to some of these films and um, finding a new appreciation for them. But I think don't go into the woods. I can watch it in little little bits, but it's it starts with that. You know, it sounds like someone head butting a synthesizer all the way through that first chase sequence, and it doesn't, and ends in the teddy bear's picnic. It's it's quite something. That's that's all I can say about it. So. So no, thank you, Nathan, and um, and here we go, Eric. Here's your number two. Bravo. Practicing for tonight. As a matter of fact, I was. Practice makes perfect. Kim is always so perfect. Uh, Nick likes me that way. Really. You are keeping in mind that after tonight is all over, everything's going to be back to normal. I mean, Nick is king of the prom, and you just happen to be queen of the prom. But that's as far as it goes, Hammond. You really ought to tell him that. I'm telling you, okay? You seem a little anxious, Wendy. By the way, who are you going with tonight? It's not who you go with, honey. It's who takes you home. Yes, one of my favorites. Mm, um, yeah. One of my favorites. Yes. Because <laughs> if there's one thing I love as much as slasher movies, it's 80s um, high school movies. And I think that piece of dialogue captures it in a nutshell. You do know the film. You, you do know the film, don't you? Yes. yes. Well, out, out of Africa. <laughs> yes, it's out of Africa. So <laughs> Meryl Streep and Robert Redford. Uh, now that was prom night, of course, and it was Jamie Lee Curtis. And remind me of the actress who plays Wendy. Was it Eddie Benton? That's yes. her. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. Um, and I, I think when it comes to prom night, I think it works better. I think the first hour works good as a high school kind of movie. Mm. It falls apart a bit when it gets into its slasher area because it just can't really hold a candle to the better films of the era but um i mean and jamie lee Curtis is in it my lovely lovely jamie lee yes yes well no she's wonderful wonderful it, i mean it's a film that hey um, <laughs> not horse face <laughs> no she's beautiful it's my uh, did, you not, did you not see her narcs in trading places it's all the activia she's eating all right. <laughs> yes, we won't go there. We won't go there. Anyway, she's flush with success at the moment. Yeah, um, I think she she carries that movie in from for me personally because, yeah, um, yeah. as I said, it's it's not one of the best examples of the slasher era. Well, my mm. holy grail at the moment with with um, is the prom night TV version, um, which I've never oh. seen, uh, and I've been looking for it everywhere basically. So everyone, anyone knows if anyone's got a copy, I'd love to see it. Um, and it's got such thrilling. Bits that aren't in the film, such as Leslie Nielsen chopping wood with an axe. Mm. Um, also, Shirtless? Jamie Lee. Sorry, Shirley. Shirtless? Yes, shirt. Well, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> um, and also, Jamie Lee passing a note round class and various other things, exciting things like that happening, which um, which would be great if someone actually had the foresight to actually put Prom Night out on a proper you know, um, release. Um, I'd love to see a Blu-ray of it because I'm sure it looked great. Just like mm. Halloween 2, um, 1981 would look amazing on Blu-ray. And mm. unfortunately, all we've got is crappy DVD releases, which don't do it justice at all. 
Um, but yeah, so if anyone knows where the TV version of Prom Night is or has it recorded it, you know, that is my holy grail at the moment. So you'd make me very, very happy if someone uh, get their hands on that. Once so, again, that email address is just kidding. <laughs> well, no, just send it this way if you know where it is. Um, you, we will be eternally grateful. So, no, but is it not wrong to um, send somebody uh, videos and movies by illegal means? It's very wrong, Eric. But I Baby Jesus if, frowns on you. But I don't know if, I don't know if <laughs> someone just copying it off an old um, recorded thing from when it was showing on cable back in 1982 is the same thing. You know, oh, that's still wrong. I pray for your soul. Okay. All right. Well, I, <laughs> I will go to hell for prom night. So. <laughs> so, no, thank you, Eric. And now we're up to our number one. So here we go. This is Joseph's numero uno. I wanted to believe me, but I couldn't. I mean, I really fell on my ass out there. I made so many mistakes, but I learned something. Look, give me a chance. If you still want me to go away, I will. But I have to tell you that I love you and I want you back. How was I supposed to know that, Jesse? I honestly didn't think you were ever coming back. You just left me here. Sarah, please. I'm sorry. I'm so damn sorry. It's a big mama's house. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know what that is. So, Joseph, why did you? Why was that your number one? Uh, that's for all the forum members. Uh, you know, Paul Kelman and his lovely, lovely Canadian accent. I'm sorry. I'm so damn sorry. <laughs> uh, for lunch meat, uh, apparently, because uh, that's his shtick. So that's for you, lunch meat. No, um, it's one of those scenes that kind of breaks up the My Bloody Valentine, which is a pretty creepy movie, and it kind of descends into this soap opera moment where. I love you, Sarah. I want you back. Yeah. And it's kind of funny, so I chose it. It's a great it's a great film and it's kind of one of the few kind of melodramatic moments in it, isn't it? Right. It's melodramatic, kind of, that's yeah, good yeah. Word. excellent, excellent. Actually well, I was going to go with um uh beware of what what you make mm. fun of, you little asshole. Mm. But I figured I would just I would satiate the forum members with the I'm sorry, so that's why I picked Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you, Joseph. And um, going on to my number one, it's one of my all-time bits of favourite dialogue from a relatively obscure film, but uh, see if you can guess what this is. Whoa, I almost hit that guy. He was carrying something. Did you see that? It's lucky I saw anything at all. Thanks for telling me, Nance. There's something creepy about that guy. I got a look at his face. He was grinning even when it looked like you were going to hit him, Tom. I swear he had this strange look on his face. I thought I saw shoes sticking out from under that blanket. Nah, he was just a big farmer with a bundle. Your mind's playing tricks on you, girl. You're all shook up. As soon as we find a good campsite, we'll smoke some of this good hash and loosen you up. <laughs> so, so, guys, um, any guesses? Woo. I'm stumped with this one as well. Nathan has me out for three on this one. Well, this is my one. It's, oh, yeah. sorry, Justin, I'm yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Nathan, Nathan, any idea? Uh, I'm stumped. I'll, I'll guess body count. Not body count. How about you, Joseph? 
I honestly don't know either. Did you, uh, I must admit, it's one of my favourite bits of dialogue, um, and I especially um, like when it sounds like he's saying to, calling his friend Nance. Um, but it's actually, um, maybe I'm not playing fair with this, but it's a, it's a kind of, it is what I would term a kind of uh, quasi slasher movie. It's actually 1981's Midnight, uh, um, which is the um, the witchcraft uh, sort of um, slasher kind of cross. Um, from uh, John Russo uh, with oh, special wow. effects by Tom Savini. Yeah, um, I was and, actually going to say Midnight. I you? swear. I mean, it's got it's got one of the my favorite ever uh, soundtracks. It's got the most amazingly cheesy theme tune, um, and I believe, um, well, actually, I I, I'm, I might be right or I might be wrong. It might be coming out on DVD <coughs> soon somewhere. But it's it's a kind of it's a very borderline slash movie. But I just love it's got that real. Dana Kimmel-esque Nancy Drew type dialogue where you can they're being deadly serious but it's got that beautiful cheesiness about it so um, that's my one I, for posterity I like how they keep adding their names to the end of each sentence it's like you're right about that Nance yeah. oh you're right about that Tom <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to say I love the artwork for that movie yes well, I had to say I that like that's great artwork it's a great, it's a great, it's a fun film. It's a fun film. I haven't, I've never seen it uncut. I think um, the UK release, which I got, was cut quite significantly. And I, Tom Savini did some quite um, startling special effects for it, I believe. Um, so I'm looking. If it is coming out on DVD uncut, then I shall be looking forward to that. So, um, okay, well, that was my number one. And um, Nathan, here's your number one. Kenny, I'm sorry. I never told you. I'm so sorry. I saw your picture in the yearbook. I never knew you liked magic. I watched you tonight. You liked him. No. Kenny, you're better than he is. I'm sure you're better than him. I do know prom night again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie's choice. <gasps> uh, you got it. Ter- <laughs> oh, <laughs> is it terror bus? Uh, terror bus. Yeah, that's terror part bus. two. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Frightening airplane. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's from Terror Train. Scary bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. That's one of my favorite bits of dialogue mm-hmm. of all time. I think that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis obviously is awesome in that scene, but... Um, you know, Derek McKinnon is Kenny. I mean, he has a great delivery in that scene. It's very creepy. So mm. I had to pick it because I thought that was a scary scene. I forgot I actually how good you met him. In that. Yeah, we did. Uh, he hit on Joseph, actually. <laughs> oh. Yes, my, my asshole is still puckered from that moment. <laughs> but, uh, so Derek, how, Derek's very um, flamboyant, isn't he? Yes. yes he's, he's a very, very cool guy, though. Yeah, yeah he is. He was a very nice guy. I mean, he wasn't. He actually um, uh, signed my picture. Kiss me. <laughs> yes, he did. Mine uh, says, "Joseph, thank you for last night." Oh, really? oh. I'm serious. It's the lizard, and you know, why shouldn't he say last night? Because I saw his lizard. <laughs> well, it's, um, it sounds like it gets a lot of action I'm, at these um, conventions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a country boy. I'm not used to this kind of talk. <gasps> right, yeah. Um, 
But the thing that impressed me about going back to um, uh, Kenny and Derek's uh, performance in, in Terror Train was he wasn't a trained actor, was he? He was actually a, a drag performer. I believe, and uh, which is why and I think he still he's is. Picked. I believe is he still okay? But he's actually uh-huh. the performance. I forgot actually how creepy that sa- he sounded at the end. There, he was, you know, yeah. It's actually really imbues that with uh, a sense of menace, doesn't he? Which is, um, which is uh, so. Terror Train's another film. Love to see on Blu-ray um, and a decent, um, you know, a decent release of that with a Jamie Lee Curtis and um, Kenny, um, uh, you know, audio commentary would be fantastic. So um, no, thank you for Nathan for that. It's uh, these are all. I hope people are enjoying these as much as we enjoy listening to them. But we're coming to our um, well, Eric's number one and mm-hmm. the final. So here we go. Right, all lights to ourselves. Let's eat Melanie's ice cream. God, do you know what I've always wanted to do? I mean, like if time stopped for everyone except me. Try on Cindy's clothes. <gasps> yes. <laughs> Any guesses? <laughs> Sorority House Massacre? Yeah, That's the that. one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that movie, so I, I could quote it too. <laughs> now, can I ask you, I, I, when I reviewed this film for Hysteria Lives about 10 years ago, and I was working off the UK VHS back then. Now, for this clip, I was working off the US DVD. And this is the first time I'd watched it since I bought it a few years ago. And there's, I'm convinced there's scenes missing for it, because the scene I wanted to, to use for the audio clip was one where... Beth and her friend are talking about their hair, saying about how their hair is in a transitional phase and how the great thing about hair is it always grows out. And it was nowhere to be seen on the DVD. So I had to settle for that 10 seconds of Let's Eat Melanie's Ice Cream, which is really good in itself. <laughs> I just like the fact... Clothes. Yeah, I like, I like the fact that these, um, these uh, really, I consider, would be high-class um, or upper-class girls who wear expensive dresses that look like the lickable wallpaper from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory... Um, <laughs> spend their spare time fantasizing about trying on someone's clothes. I have That's to say bit. that every time I think of Eric, I think of the scene in Sorority House Massacre where they're trying on the clothes. And I know. I've thought about that ever since I've met you. <laughs> Montage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's absolutely... like uh, If you want fashion disasters, this is the first place you need to go because it is... Some of the dresses are hideous. I mean, there's one girl who wears this sort of pink frock with these enormous shoulder pads like an American footballer. It's, have you have you got the old VHS, Eric? Can you I, I don't check? anymore, no, to make a comparison. But Because in my review, I refer to the scene where they're talking about their hair growing out. Oh. And um, it's not anywhere to be seen in the DVD. And there's, I also remember a scene about them when they're setting up the TP in the back garden. They're mm. talking about uh, a recipe for chew bread or something. Uh, I remember that being quite inane. And that's nowhere to be seen in the DVD either. So I'm convinced that... Um, we got a longer version over here than they did in the States or something. Well, do you think well, we criteri- got chipped over here. Yeah. Do you think yeah. Criterion might um, put out a definitive version? Uh, I think they might. It's <laughs> exactly the type of film that they would do. Right. Uh, Code Red or uh, Code Blue or whoever that is. That Code Red, yeah. business. They'll do it in like 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I'll do, Eric, is I'll see if I've got my VHS um, knocking about somewhere because I've yeah. got it. And if I have, I shall see if I can find that clip for you. Yes. Um, but, Thank um, you. But yeah, no, uh, wonderful set of clips. I think um, I enjoyed that so much. I think we should do it again because there's so many other um, fantastic bits of dialogue um, and bits and um, from other movies. So um, keep keep them tuned. Keep your ears tuned because we'll come back to that. I'm We're sure just at some point. Skimming the surface on that one. Absolutely, absolutely. And in the meantime, 
keep eating Melanie's ice cream. Exactly. Fantastic. <gasps> right. Well, um, I think yeah. we've got to uh, we got to our feature presentation. Um, uh, this week, it's a choice by Joseph, so we can blame him. So, uh, hey, Joseph. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Okay, Joseph, take it away. A razor-sharp machete, wielded by a madman, cuts through the night mist, leaving a dismembered bodies scattered about. The police are baffled by the sadistic killings and are helpless to stop them from happening again. What was once a small, quiet town is now engulfed in terror and shock. The blade is being sharpened again as a group of college students, unsuspecting of the brutal killings, are planning a party. The deranged killer is planning to have a party of his own. Join him if you dare. All right, that was taken from the Video Gems VHS release, and two things immediately spring to mind. First off, the police are not the police. It's just one lard-ass sheriff, so typical of these movies. And second, he's not really baffled by the killings, as he doesn't really even find out about them until the last 15 minutes. Um, uh, House of Death was a movie I first saw back in 1997. I rented it from a little shop called KC Video, and to be honest, I really disliked it. I thought it meandered about when there could have been more killings. I thought the characters were annoying, and I thought the plot was an incoherent mess. But something about the movie stuck with me, so I braved it again, and eventually again, and so on, until one day I did a complete 180, admiring the characters, trying to piece together the loose plot, and getting excited over the zany, violence-filled finale that features everything from exploding heads. Uh, House of Death, I think, it's not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it's imbued with a relaxed, uh, playful attitude, and you can tell that everyone involved had fun. It was directed by David Nelson of Ozzy and Harriet fame and filmed in Shelby, North Carolina at the infamous Earl Owensby Studios. Uh, for me, there are a few films that managed to stick with me throughout the years, and often they're films despised by others. Uh, House of Death is one of those films. Now, I have been in contact with two people from the film, uh, Kurt Rector, who played Bob, and Hans Manship, who played Casey. And before we get to those uh, interviews, uh, I guess I'm going to turn it over to um, Eric. What did you think about the film? Um, I have kind of mixed feelings about the film, to be honest. Uh, I like the opening theme music, I have to say, because it's exceptionally over the top and it makes me think I'm about to watch some um, Irwin Allen disaster movie and then like as soon as that stops it moves into it moves straight in without stop to this cheesy elevator music and I was thinking this is actually going to be really good it's already you know won my heart over I find it, it, it as you said it does meander a bit I found the plot kind of hard to follow at times because I think the, its main problem is it it's trying to shove in too many characters all at once. I mean, you have your central core of Lily and, uh, and maybe a few others like Bob and the sheriff and that. But the other ones, I couldn't really tell who was who. And I mean, by the time the film finished, I had to actually email all you guys and say, can someone just tell me who the killer was again? <laughs> because, I mean, part of the problem there was the print I'm watching is quite dark as well. So it was hard to tell what was going on a lot of the time. Um, I think it does have a pretty spectacular final 10 minutes i think it would have been better if they had paced it out in the more traditional slasher format uh by which i mean maybe half an hour setup maybe half an hour to 40 minutes of people being killed intermittently and then 20 minutes of final girl or final boy or final both action but um as it is it has a nice homegrown feel i suppose uh you were mentioning don't go in the woods alone earlier and it kind of reminded me of that if it had better acting 
and better direction if you know if you know what i mean um it has that kind of sort of cheapy feel i mean there's only one really really bad actress in it as far as i can remember and that is there's this woman in the cafe about an hour into the film who's talking to the sheriff and i don't know who she was sleeping with but she had no right to be in that film (laughs) um there's plenty of films worse than this i mean my soul to take is is about 40 times worse than this film. Thank but, you. I mean, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be in my top 10 at all. Okay. Um, what about you, Justin? What do you think? Well, yes. Well, what I'd like to do before I launch into my thoughts of this um, is I was looking on IMDb to see what other people thought about the film. And I found this glowing, very short glowing review. It says, if your day consisted of your dog being run over three times, getting fired from Wendy's and your wife running off with the mailman or your brother, your day can still get worse by viewing this trash. Now, that, <laughs> is, that is not, no, 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 before I go in, that, I don't agree with that at all. Actually, I quite enjoyed um, House of Death. It's, it's, so it's a bizarre, bizarre film. Um, I loved the, the beginning, the start-up, and I thought it was actually, um, uh, it had a kind of weird resonance, actually, the beginning with a couple get murdered as the train goes past, and I thought hey, that Justin, was a really good setup. Yep. Uh, not to interrupt you, mm. uh, I, I gave you a clip from the beginning. Mm. Uh, Any way you can play that? Is that, is, is um, Zipper, yeah, here we go. Yes. This is a clip. Tell me you love me. God, don't, don't move. Oh, and pretty soon after that they get um they get garroted don't they and are, are they having sex on a motorbike yeah they yes. are which isn't By the a train track place to yeah. have it um but the weird thing is the killer then throws them into the river in slow motion and they float in slow motion while the credits go and you've got this bombastic score, um, which, again, I, I really liked the score. I thought it was kind of really, you know, funny. Um, and then they float, like, romantically together down the river <laughs> for days, it seems, with no one re- seeing in full daylight these two bodies floating down the river. But um, I... Uh, it's kind of weird, actually. I was I was watching it, and um, that happened. And like Eric, I thought, well, this could be really good. I had seen it, you know, obviously I reviewed it for Hysteria Lives um, a number of years ago. And I then I, it goes to the fun fair, um, and it just stays there for half an hour. And it's just overage teenagers, some of them over 40, um, who are jumping around on bouncy castles, going on rides, eating pie, um, you know, winning prizes... Um, you know, hiding from the fat butterball sheriff. And I, it's weird. It's almost like comfort food for me. I could sit and watch that forever um, or just be doing something in the background with that going on. It's just kind of, it was just like 1981 personified in the sunshine, tight toweling shorts, everyone having a good time. You know, I really, you know, enjoyed that. But as a slasher movie, it just fails completely for half an hour. It just falls off the wagon, basically. Apart from the fantastic scene, um, which I'm sure you'll talk about, Joseph, where there a woman um, who, for some reason, um, covers the coach's car in spray foam, and then is killed by being first being shot with an arrow, then running into a car park where no one else is, getting onto a merry-go-round where no one else is, even though it's next door to a, a fun fair, and then 
sitting on the merry-go-round, going round in the merry-go-round, and then being suffocated by the killer from the from the back. There's so many things wrong with that scene. Um, there is a slightly perverse type of genius associated with with how stupid that is. Um, for well, sorry, again, can I just interrupt? You? She didn't yeah. um, cover his car and phone for no reason. That man had the nerve to talk to another woman. I did. No, no, yes. no, 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 no. Um, she offered him a piece of pie, and he said it looks tasty. And when he walked away, he kind of like did not eat her pie. So she was upset about that. Oh, yeah. I thought it was because he was talking to another woman. I don't well, know. Women are, I think, women was, are I think she was jealous about that too. Yeah. It could have been a, a combination of both. But now what I want to say about that scene where the girl gets shot with the arrow, um, that is the introduction to the that's like it's kind of like um, the Price is Right music. I keep expecting yes. Rod Roddy to go, come on down! Yeah. <laughs> but it never happens. It's it's um it's it's the most bizarre getaway vehicle in slasher history, maybe, isn't it? Sitting on a merry-go-round, it's kind of where are you going to go? Where are you going to go exactly? Just round and round and round. Um, so it's kind of the most bizarre thing. And why that was sat outside the fun fair, uh, it, it doesn't it boggles the mind. But then, having said that, with House of Death, you probably aren't looking for um, believability. I don't think this realism. realism. Yeah. Or realism. This is not a realistic slasher movie by by any stretch. Um, but then, I mean, I'll you know I'll I'll get off my soapbox in a second. But just just to say that I I love the last ten minutes um, with all my heart. I think they are, are fantastic. Um, it's a shame that the print is so crappy and you can't really see what's going on for a lot of it. But uh, those last ten minutes are what early '80s slasher movies are all about: cramming all the deaths into ten minutes, which they shouldn't have done. I agree with Eric; they should have stretched it out. But it's just like I just love that kind of slightly tongue-in-cheeky kind of cat and mouse, right, everyone running around with their hands in the air, screaming with their polyester, causing sparks to fly off their crotches as they run around the house, <laughs> looking, you know, bo- bo- boss-eyed and don't know which way to run, and the killers just stabbing the machete through the door and up the stairs and into every orifice. I mean, that's the that is what early 80s slasher movies are all about to me. They're fun, they're jack-in-the-box, cat and mouse, and if the rest of the film had been like that, this would be a small classic. Um, but um, we'll talk more about it, but I certainly didn't hate it. It's not, not my top ten like Eric, but it's, you know, <laughs> it's a fun film. All right, what about you, Nathan? Uh, well, it's not in my top ten either, but I still love it. I think uh, it's a... It's a really good, you know, fun movie, and like, you know, we've said before, I love that music. Uh, I think that's some of my favorite music in any slasher film. One thing I really like about House of Death is um, I really got into the characters. Uh, I kind of like the man-hating grandma who Joseph always cracks me up because he always says he wants to wheel her into the river because yeah, she, <laughs> she hates men. You know, she that one there's scene, a scene. There's a scene. Yeah, uh, where they're at the fair, and um, they roll up to Kathy. And they're talking to her, and the grandma's all sweet and pleasant. And then Bob, who's been down below, like sticks his head up and, and looks up, and the grandma's demeanor completely changes. Like oh, then she's, she's like, hater. "Oh God, a man's around here." Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, and I also love Ramona. And I think the only f- complaint I really have about this movie is I think Ramona should have been the heroine. I mean, yeah, she was the I slutty agree. character, but there was a lot more to her character than uh, just being a slut. I mean, you actually get a lot of insight into her character um, after uh, she and the sheriff have their big uh, argument outside of the coach's house. Um, I thought you actually learned a lot about her and how, you know, she's not just a, a slut. She actually has a lot of issues. 
See, the resulting thing about from that, a car wreck. The th- yeah, the thing about that is that she was in the car with Casey, and I think that's what caused his brain damage because there's a sore spot with the sheriff, and he's like, don't you talk about run. And she's like, Casey was driving the car, not me. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think that that shows, you know, that um, maybe they both have some anger or guilt issues about that car crash, and, you know, they pretty much, I guess, take it out on each other. Yeah, they were certainly more um, interesting than uh, Susan Kiger, I, I believe, I think. Anyway. Yeah, that's my problem is, I mean, Susan Kiger's character, the heroine, is just, she was boring. I mean, there wasn't much going on with her. She was just no a chasing, sweet, nothing. blonde, innocent and that's it. Her grandma was more interesting than she was, and I wanted to kill her grandma. <laughs> I, I thought Susan Kiger was um, a, a bit. I thought she shone in was when she told the story um, about um, well about the serial killer. Shall I? Shall I just play that little clip, Eric? Yeah, uh, sorry, Joseph. This is Susan Kiger. She threw open the shower door, and hanging from the nozzle was her dog. Its throat had been slit and blood dripped in large red droplets onto the clean white tile. I mean, she's not going to win an act- um, uh, you know, an Oscar for that. She's no Meryl Streep. But um, that was I really liked that kind of campfire, like typical 90, early, early T slasher movie, campfire sitting around telling ghost stories. In this case, it's an urban legend, which I don't know if it was it the first time that urban legend had been talked about? Because I know it's been used Certainly in Certainly the movies first since. I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the first time I ever heard that story altogether. So yeah. I used to go around telling that like it was my own when I was a kid and then. People finally found out I was a fake, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> They're still that's, finding out today. <laughs> but that's if people, if listeners don't know, I mean, it's the the old urban legend of um, of uh, a woman being home alone and she puts her hand under a bed and a dog licks her hand and it kind of reassures her. Um, but in fact, it's actually a serial killer um, under the bed licking her hands. Um, and it was used in another f- slasher film um, from the last 10 years. And I can't remember it now. Um do you guys, can you remember what film you said? It's Urban Legends Final Cut. They actually... Oh, was were, it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, And they did the story in that um, anthology. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's the anthology one I was thinking of. Which one was that? Campfire Tales. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's what so I was thinking So it was in two of them. Yeah. Yeah. So House of Death was being ripped off, even though it's obviously patently a Friday 13th ripoff, and that's what Travis. they were going for. Um but they were going. I mean, obviously, with the with the gory killings, because quite a lot of slasher movies from after nineteen eighty into eighty one, certainly by eighty two, that actually kind of lost a lot of the gore. But they were doing some quite impressive cheapo gore effects in this. I thought, and especially mm. those slam bam dismember me man final ten minutes. I thought were really you know uh, really good. Um, and I think um, I don't know if you think you know the um, the Quentin Tarantino. Um, the uh, you know the what's what's that the uh, the can't remember the um, grindhouse um, death proof death proof and you know when Eli Roth did the homecoming slasher movie parody Thanks, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving yeah, yeah. Um, then the, with the whole head falling off I think that may have been borrowed from this movie with mm-hmm. the like the boyfriend's head falling off which I thought you know again it was you know it's just, you know it's a good good time good time but I mean there's quite a lot more to say about this movie um, Joseph but did, did you want to take a break for one of our guest interviews yes um, the first one we're going to play is uh, with Kurt Rector um, obviously he played Bob um, you just want to go ahead and play that yeah okay well um, here we go all right, we're here with Kurt Rector from House of Death. He played Bob, and he's going to answer a few questions today. So uh, thanks for being here, Kurt. Sure. Happy to help. All right. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with House of Death? Sure. 
the film was shot in uh, 1981, I, I believe, and uh, it was produced at a place in North Carolina, a little town outside of uh, Charlotte called Shelby, uh, at a place called EO Studios. And EO Studios was uh, uh, a privately owned film production facility, uh, a man named Earl Owensby, uh, just a rich guy who liked movies and wanted to be a movie star and wanted to make his own movies. So he built this pretty little place where he made his own movies. Uh, and I had previously done uh, one other film with them, uh, and uh, the the guy who did most of their directing was a guy named uh, Worth Keeter, uh, and Worth and I got to be good friends, and uh, we continue to stay in touch to this day. Uh, and when Death Screams came up, which uh, Death Screams was the shooting title of the film, uh, they were kind of scratching around, I guess, looking for people. And uh, EO Studios said, why don't you look at this Rector guy? Uh, they, I can't remember whether I auditioned for them or not. I don't think I did. Uh, I had done a bunch of work for EO Studios uh, on the previous film, reading against other actors who were auditioning. And I think they just finally looked at some of those, and uh, they called me and said, hey, would you like to be in this movie? We'd like you to play this part. And I said, absolutely, because I was acting professionally in those days, and uh, anytime anybody was willing to give me money to act with my clothes on, I was happy to be there. Awesome, awesome. I think the movie you did with uh, Worth Keeter, wasn't that The Dogs of Hell, or do you remember the title? Yeah, that was actually the, the original working title of that film was Rottweiler. The interesting thing about Dogs of Hell slash Rottweiler uh, was that it was uh, it was one of the first films shot with the Condon 3D lenses, uh, which were which is similar to the process they use now for digital stuff because what the way the Condon lenses worked was they polarized were two polarized filters uh, that went over the lensing uh, and they were 90 degrees out of uh, they, they were at parallax. So when when you looked at them with uh, with the correct glasses on, then your left eye couldn't see what the right eye was seeing and vice versa. And not to be too technical, but that's how 3D works. So uh, it w that was a real interesting uh, uh, shoot to be on. Uh, the, the, film that, the first film that Worth and I worked together on was a film uh, called uh, Dare to be Great that was a biopic about a, a, a millionaire uh, imbecile here in Florida who... Uh, uh, was well known at the time and isn't now. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Uh, at the time he was he was well known. Now he's not. Uh, and uh, I was my father was the producer of the executive producer of the film. He put up all the money and uh, he didn't have anybody who knew anything about production work. And at the time I was acting professionally and and uh, was interested in film. And he came to me and said, "Look, I need you to go up and and go to work for me and." You know, make sure these guys know what they're doing and make sure that we're getting what we want. So that was actually how Worth and I got to be friends because Worth was directing the, that film, Dare to Be Great, and I was coordinator for the executive producer, which would normally have been a, a thing that kind of put us at odds because, you know, I'm there to say this is not good enough or this is good enough. And, uh, you know, you can see how that would create some abrasion, but, uh, uh, Worth and I hit it off immediately, uh, but other than that, we get along like two peas in a pod, and and we had a great time working together, and continued to work together uh, for the next 
four or five years until I kind of uh, uh, stopped acting. Awesome, awesome. Um, back to House of Death. Um, uh-huh. The uh, the movie kind of bounces between characters. Uh, yeah. Like like they make you think that you and the Kathy character Andrea Savio or Savio or however you pronounce yeah. that. Yeah. I think uh, it was I think it was Savio. Savio. Okay. Uh, they kind of make make you think that you're going to be like the hero heroine of the film, and then they kind of just switch gears into like Susan Kiger's character Lily. And uh, I mean, can you tell us? Was it always supposed to be like that, or were there script changes? Uh, you know, I think it was always supposed to be that way. I, I have to tell you that the uh, uh, at the time, my impression, and this is just my impression, was that the the producer was using this as a vehicle to get into the pants of the girl on the shoot if he could. <laughs> uh, and, and why he didn't just go out and hire a hooker is beyond me, but. Uh, that that certainly seemed to be the case. I mean, I remember that the guy was just a total horn dog, and he was just, you know, the the girls in the film would be in the studio walking back and forth, and he'd just all but be following them around with his tongue out. Now, not that they weren't beautiful, they were, they were all gorgeous, but it was just the kind of thing where you're like, dude, you know, get get a, get a little bit of control or something. It has sort of um, a sleazy feel to it now. That it, it did, it did. I mean, the whole time that we were working on it, we all kept saying, you know, it's, you know, are, there, are we going to come in tomorrow and everybody's going to have to take their clothes off? I mean, it was, it was, that's how it felt. Um, that never happened. I mean, there was, and there was never any, you know, nobody ever suggested that, hey, you know, how would you feel if maybe we took this in a different direction? Uh, I think that the film was always planned to be a vehicle for Susan Kiger. Uh, uh, Susan was the big star from L.A. She was a Playboy, right? I say what? She was a Playboy model, if I recall. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and she was uh, the the word we got on her was that her nickname in L.A. was the Blonde Death because apparently she'd worked with various producers who, as soon as she worked with them and finished whatever they were doing, then you know their careers just fell off the map and they never worked again. Wow. Uh, I I don't know that that's true, but you know that was the that was the background we got on her, and she didn't seem like an unpleasant person. Uh, she certainly didn't seem like she had any time for any of us, particularly. Um, but uh, it, it was a it was a very strange film to work on because we had this kind of uh, we had uh, we had Susan who was from L.A. and we had uh, David Nelson who, uh, you know, from Ozzy and Harriet fame, I mean, I, I don't know how many of your listeners will actually know who the hell David Nelson is, or for that matter, who Ozzy and Harriet are. Everyone. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and then we had a local crew out of North Carolina who all were experienced, but they're local experience, and, uh, you know, local actors, and, you know, so it was this kind of hodgepodge of, of people whose experiences were not, necessarily didn't really make us a very cohesive group. So uh, we kind of struggled a little bit there for a while. Um, But the the script was always supposed to be about about Susan. I just think the truth was that her character was just never that interesting. You know, you kind of went, who is this person? She's a waitress. You know, I mean, you know, tell me something about her that makes me care. Uh, You know, my memory is that she was supposed to have been – uh, you know, the local girl who did great in high school but didn't have the money to go to college, and uh, who cares? I'm, you know, I mean, that's sad, but it's not like that's, you know, a driving force for a film. I definitely agree um, with you there. I think, uh, for my money, um, the more interesting character in the film for me was the, uh, 
Ramona, played by Jennifer Chase. Yeah. She played the, the, slu- the slutty character. Yeah. I and the, she and more, the interest- I thought she had more personality than... Yeah. Well, and she was, frankly, she was a better actress than yeah. Susan. <laughs> I agree. Uh, you I- know? And, and when, when, uh, when Jennifer came in and we started working, you know, Jennifer's attitude was, I'm just here to have fun. I, you know, she was, had done a couple of photo shoots and I think she'd done some, you know, some, uh, some industrial stuff and, and she was just there to have a good time. So she was, she was easy to work with. You know, every scene I had with her was just bing, bing, bing. They were trying constantly to set up these red herrings. So you wouldn't see through to the bald truth that, you know, the coach was the bad guy and the bottom line was, uh, you know, his whole relationship with Susan revolved around his overwhelming desire to kill her for no particular reason. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I have to say, I don't know that I ever saw a full script. Um, One of the things that, that mitigated in my favor as an actor for film was always that I'm a pretty quick study. You can hand me, uh, uh, you know, the sides for a scene that's going to happen in 10 minutes, and I can pretty much, you know, nail the dialogue for that 10 minutes. An hour later, I won't remember it, but for the, you know, in the next 10 minutes, I'll be able to, I'll be able to do that. So a lot of times they would just give me sides while I was sitting in the makeup chair and say, this is what we're doing, and I'd go, yeah, all right, fine. Uh, I always sort of felt like, you know, uh, tell me what you want me to know and get out of my way. I just, you know, <laughs> I just wanted, as, uh, uh, Spencer Tracy, the great actor Spencer Tracy, once said to uh, David Niven when David Niven asked him for some guide, guidance on being a great film actor, Tracy said, hit your marks and say your lines and look like you're listening when other people are talking. And that's really that's what, what film acting is about. Know how to hit your marks, say your lines when it's your turn, and the rest of the time pay attention to what other people are saying, and you pretty much got it knocked. Um and and as a result, I didn't really pay that much attention to what the rest of the script was about. I mean, I, I knew the overview at the time, but I think they always intended that it would be Susan's movie. But what was happening as was as the producer would realize, you know, well, he's not going to get in Susan's pants this weekend. He would <laughs> he would shift his focus to Jennifer. And he would, you know, he would be saying, well, you know, I want to enhance your, you know, your importance. And so he would write stuff for her, uh, you know, and add scenes or subtract scenes. Uh, I'm not really sure what all he was doing. I just know that the, uh, you know, the one person, uh, the one group of people for whom he was not doing that was the guys. Because basically, you know, the girls had a makeup trailer. We'd sit around and make a person to come up and hit you with a big powder puff and off you'd go. Um <laughs> Bill Gribble, uh, who played uh, the the oldest of the college students, Walker. It, I think it was Walker. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, it's worth noting here that uh, the only person who was remotely close to the age she was playing was Andrea. Uh, at the time, I was playing a senior. You know, I, I think my character was supposed to have just graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, my character was in that interim between just graduating from high school, going to college next year. I was 26 at the time. Wow. Bill Gribble is Bill Gribble is playing a senior in college, and he was 42. Whoa. You know, <laughs> you know. So I mean, you know, they're they're having to color his hair and all kinds of stuff, and we're you know we're all going, 
the, who the hell's going to believe this bullshit? None of us, you know, none of us look remotely the age we're supposed to be. The producer was much more interested in the ladies than he was in any of us guys. Bill was a bit higher in the pecking order, and he seemed to have a little bit more knowledge about what was going on. Uh, and so, you know, he was he would come to us and go, well, this is what's happening, guys, and we'd all go, we don't give a shit. It doesn't matter to us because we just want our money, <laughs> you know? As exactly. long as the paycheck is coming, you can. this movie could go on for years, and we'll be fine with it. Um, so, you know, the, we just really felt like as long as we know what we're supposed to do, we're going to do it. I think they I think they did some rewrites. I mean, that's pretty common in most films that you do some rewrites. But I think a lot of the rewrites were driven by uh, uh, the fact that it wasn't a terribly interesting story to begin with until you got into the slashing parts. Uh, for instance, Jennifer's death scene I don't think was originally intended mm-hmm. to – I don't think it was originally supposed to be quite as striking as it was. But were Keeter, uh, who was – uh, not directing, but was doing special effects for the film. Worth was an, Worth is an interesting guy, uh, and uh, he was very young at the time and had a huge, uh, huge skill set for uh, film. And um, you know, he could shoot, he could direct, he could light, and he could do special effects. And he did a body cast from the head down uh, to her waist. And um, actually, I guess down to her hips, with her hands over her head, and he did a he did a life mask of her, and um, and that's actually there's a there was a scene that we shot at whether or not it made it into the movie I don't know, but because Worth was able to do this body cast of her, uh, he made this thing so that you know, and then we just crammed just all kinds of foul chicken guts and stuff up into the body cavity of this thing. So when I pulled her out of there, it just all went and came running out. Um, I know that they rewrote some scenes as time Mm -hmm. went by, just based on what they had the ability to do uh, that they hadn't expected to be able to do. Uh, There was one scene uh, that was, I don't think it was originally intended to, in fact, I know it was not originally intended to be this way, but as time went by, uh, the the producer and, and and David Nelson said, "Hey, let's uh, you know, let's see what we can do about this." So what they wanted to have happen was the way the death scene I think shows in the film is that you know the coach falls through the shed, falls out out the window of the the old deserted shack where we all wind up, and and then that fat ass uh, uh, sheriff uh, is you know sneaking up on him with his gun drawn. And uh, and Nil sits up out of the rubble, and the sheriff shoots him in the head and kills him. Well, earlier in the film, one of the other male actors whose name eludes me, but he was pretty much an also ran, is uh, is beheaded, and they find his head sitting on top of a, a tombstone or something. But it was such a quick scene; it was the feeling that no one would recognize that it wasn't actually Nils. So, uh, so once again, Worth gets out, uh, you know, his fake blood and, and, uh, all the chicken guts he can buy for $5 and crams them up into the head of this thing, uh, and then, you know, puts a seal on the bottom of it to hold it in place and puts a wig on it and puts the stocking cap on it that, that Nils was wearing. And we set this thing up, you know, in the middle of this pile of rubble uh, in one of the studios that was, uh, hadn't been completed yet. 
built a big uh, 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 stop behind it so that if it was a through and through, which was it was going to be, you know, the bullet would stop back there. And then uh, Worth, who was a pretty good shot, gets out this huge 44 Magnum that they'd used in several other films. And, and Worth fires a shot and hits this thing right square between the eyes. In the, you know, in short, when you see it in the film, you look at it and you go, wow, you know, that was pretty impressive because, you know, one second there's a head there, the next second there's just, you know, mess and what appears to be brains and all kinds of stuff. But in the, in the, uh, in the original footage, which is all, you know, at this super high speed, so when you run it through a regular film projector, it's very slow motion. What you see is this, you know, as the bullet hits this face, the whole face just kind of caves in and, you know, it's sort of, it looked like a big belly button, you know, just kind of rolled in on itself. And then the, <laughs> and then the wig flies right straight up in the air. <laughs> All the brains come out the top. And then the brains come back down and land in the, right where they came from. And the, oh, no. and the wig and the, and the stocking cap come down and land right back on the head again. <laughs> we were laughing so hard. Uh, nobody could believe it. Everybody's just going, that's just amazing. You know, that's just outrageous. So, uh, you know, yeah, they, they rewrote things as they went along based on trying to say, you know, what can we do, what's available to us that they hadn't known before. I, I think when the producer got there and he saw what the what they were capable of there at that studio that he he hadn't expected them to be capable of, he kind of expanded his vision, as it were, uh, and, and we added some things that would not ordinarily have been there. Or were, at least we're not in the original script. Right. Um, do you keep in touch with anyone these days from the film? I don't keep in touch with any of the actors. Um, I kept in touch with John Kohler, who uh, was uh, one of the guys on the film. He was an actor. Uh, Diddle? He was uh, the yeah, prank, prankster. Yeah. Um, I kept in touch with him for a while, uh, but we kind of lost track of each other. Uh, as I say, I'm still in touch with Worth on a regular basis. Uh, interestingly enough, Worth has had a Worth has had a pretty uh, stellar career uh, since then. Uh, he uh, he eventually went to Los Angeles, uh, and I got a call from Worth one night. Uh, he said, um, "I got to tell you something." I said, "What's that?" And he said, "I was working on a on a project." Uh, he said, I, "I got hired by these guys. It's a kids show." And I said, yeah. And he said, it's television. And he said, um, I went out to shoot in the streets of L.A. And he said, you know, when you're shooting in L.A., people just, the only people who give a damn are the bums on the street who will occasionally walk up and, you know, offer their insight as to where the camera placement should be. But for the most part, people just ignore you. And he said, I called for my, I called for talent to come out of their trailers. And he said, it was like a Who concert. And he said, I just don't get it. And I said, we're can I ask you a question? And he said, what's that? And I said, is the name of the show Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? And he said, yeah, how'd you know that? Said, You're the only guy I know who can go to work on the most, the most popular show on television and not know that you were working on the most popular show on television. <laughs> um, he, had a, he worked for uh, Saban Entertainment for a long time, uh, did a lot of Power Rangers, did a lot of uh, Big Bad Beetle Boards, and he also worked on Silk Stockings. Uh, and uh, a bunch of other stuff. Did a, did several films. Uh, had a had a really good career. Uh, enjoyed his time out there. And he's kind of uh, he's moved back to North Carolina now, as far as I know. And um, uh, is uh, 
kind of taking projects there. Um, awesome. The other people that I keep in touch with uh, are uh, I, Talmadge Peace, who was one of the grips and the electrician on that film. I still have Facebook contact with and, and a couple other people from the, from the crew, but, but not so much the cast. Um, you know, we, we all kind of went our separate ways and, and other than Kohler and I, I don't know that any of them stayed in touch with anybody. Right. All right. Um, how about some of the juicier stuff like, uh, behind the scenes, uh, <laughs> anecdotes or anything like that? You Absolutely. might want to. Uh, well, I, I, you know, when you and I talked the first time about this, I think I told you the, the uh, the story about uh, John Kohler and, uh, the, and the the fake blood Sup- yeah the scene where we uh, right. where we find him in the outhouse mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know the the night that we did that it was cold and it was foggy and it was damp and it was just it was really a pretty miserable night and of course we're all working in shirt sleeves so you know we we bundle up wait for the scene strip down to you know our our t-shirts or whatever we're wearing do the scene and then bundle back up again. So Kohler's scene is he's supposed to be uh, found, you know, he, he runs off to the outhouse, you know, and then later we said, where is he? You know, and we go over to the outhouse, and, and uh, somewhere in there is a raccoon that was supposed to be a red herring and, you know, provide the, woo, everybody jumps one time, before mm-hmm. we finally whip open the, the outhouse door and find John uh, hanging upside down uh, by his feet uh, from a hook, and he's been eviscerated, and he's covered in blood, and he's hanging there dead. So uh, it it was just a huge pain in the ass to get this thing done because, you know, it really was an outhouse. I mean, it really was an old shack. Uh, I don't think it was really an outhouse, but uh, it was an old shack, so they had to reinforce the roof and all kinds of crap to be able to have it be strong enough for him to hang there. And... Um, they really did it exactly the way it looks in the movie. I mean, they just strapped his his feet together and hung him from this hook. Uh, and Worth had had his own proprietary blend of that he used to make fake blood. But I do remember that a, a, a main uh, component of it was uh, was caro syrup, uh, you know, which is pretty sticky. And uh, so they get Kohler in there, and. Uh, and we get him, they get him all coated in the blood and they do a take and it, and something is wrong. And we do, so we do another take and something is wrong. So they coat him again and something is still wrong. Uh, you know, so we go through this like four or five times and then somewhere along there and there, everybody sort of got distracted and then catering came by and said, lunch is ready. And everybody went, oh, well, let's go eat. So everybody takes off to go eat. And, you know, it's, we're about 20 minutes into lunch and somebody looks around and goes, where the hell is Kohler? Like, holy shit, we, we left him oh, hanging no. in the outhouse. <laughs> so we all go dashing back over there, you know, and I went along even though I was just an actor because John was a buddy, and I'm like, holy crap. So we all go running over there. We throw open the door, and here's, you know, as we're approaching the door, we can hear Hulk Kohler in there going, hey, hey, is anybody out there? Somebody help me. I'm just hanging here. <laughs> so when we get the door open, uh, you know, he by now the syrup has dried, it's run up into his nose. It's glued his eyes shut. His hair is just matted in this crap. His clothes are stuck to him. He's just, you know, he can barely put his arms down. Um, it's all stuck in the hair on his chest. And, you know, it's just miserable. And he's got to get through the rest of the night. So, we, you know, his feet are numb. He can't walk. We get him down and unstrap him. You know, we get his eyes fried open. 
God bless him. He he was brave enough to say, you know, when we when the director said, "Listen, we really need to do this scene." You know, are you okay if we strap you up again? John was reluctant, but he he agreed to do that. Just so don't we, forget uh, about me this time. <laughs> yeah, he, he said, just don't forget about me this time. We said, all right, we won't. So uh, they strapped him up, and the crew was so impressed. with They nicknamed him John Kohler Stunt Jew. Uh, <laughs> and John was so taken with that name, he was so proud of that, that he actually had business cards made up that said John Kohler Stunt Jew. And he wow. passed them out to people, you know, and it was uh, it was just – one of the things that made John great was that he he was very much like the character that he played, and he was very funny. He was very much a prankster. He was very uh, had a really oddball sense of humor. Uh, and later on, when he and I worked together in uh, in Rottweiler uh, in uh, Dogs of Hell, uh, we continued to just have an absolutely great time. He was he was really a person who kind of pulled the crew together or pulled the cast together because everybody liked him. And everybody enjoyed being around him. A couple of the girls didn't didn't care for him because you know he was he was prone to rather uh, uh, you know loosey goosey humor. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and farts. He, he was he was in farts. Oh. he he was a bigger big guy on fart humor. Um, the only you know the other thing that I would I would tell you that you know, just for me personally was uncomfortable was that during the entirety of the filming. You know, I'm off and on involved in these rather torrid little love scenes between Andrea and I. Mm-hmm. And, and and as I said, I'm you know at the time I was 26 years old. Well, the only person who was close to her appropriate age was Andrea, who really was 17. She had just graduated from high school, and I've got all of these you know passionate moments with her. And and I'm thinking you know never mind that this is the South. I I'm keeping a weather eye out all the time. <laughs> because I'm I'm figuring the cops are just around the corner and they're going to come in and bust me for, you know, molesting a child. Um but uh, you know, we we got along great with the cops. Everything was fine and uh, it was it was never really an issue. Um it was an, it was a it was an odd film. I mean, we had this little group of fun people, uh you know, that that were pretty much uh, from Jennifer Chase uh, you know, down through John and, you know, the guy that was Jennifer's love interest and, uh, uh, Andrea and me and, uh, uh, Bill Gribble to some extent. And then we had Susan Tiger and, you know, her little cadre of, of people. And it was sort of like we never interacted except when we were, uh, on set. Because <laughs> the rest right. of the time we just didn't have anything to do, you know. She didn't want anything to do with us, really. We weren't anybody important and couldn't do anything to further her career, and she just wasn't really that interested, uh, mm-hmm. which was fine because none of us were really <laughs> interested either. We were like, well, we can't do anything to further your career anyhow, so, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, go ahead. Um, <laughs> Bill Gribble, uh, the last I heard of Bill Gribble, by the way, was that he was living in – this was as as of 2010. Uh, he was living outside of L.A., um, and that's that's really about all I know about those guys. Wow. All right. Um, I guess before we end this, uh, I just want to say it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And, hey, it's uh, been great. The, I know my fellow podcasters will really appreciate everything you've had to say about the film. Um, sure. Anything, anything you'd like to kind of plug, uh, maybe what you're doing these days or anything like these, that? These days what I do uh, as my time with uh, EO Studios progressed and I, and I worked with them more, I eventually did a film – well, I did the uh, 3D film Rottweiler with them. 
mm-hmm. and uh, because they were shorthanded for uh, for crew, uh, nobody had really anticipated how much light the 3D lenses were going to suck up. And I eventually became a, a technician rather than an actor, um, pursuing dream of you know of directing, uh, which I have done some of, uh, not for film but for industrials and things like that. And uh, these days I do uh, technical work for conferences and conventions. A lot of production work. In fact, I just returned from Phoenix, um, and I'll be leaving for Raleigh-Durham in a, in a day or two. Uh, so, you know, other than uh, saying to any of the uh, the young people out there who are interested in working in production but don't necessarily want to fight the good fight to try and get into films forever in a day, uh, you know, consider conferences and convention work because uh, we're all old guys in it these days, and there aren't that many young guys, young people out there who uh, who want to do what we do. Uh, and right. it's a great way to make a living. Wow, that sounds pretty cool, actually. It, um, it is. It's a lot of fun. Uh, uh, you know, I travel a lot. I work with extremely high-end equipment. Wow, excellent. All right, well, um, it really has been a pleasure. And I, once again, I thank you for doing this. Uh, not a lot of people have responded about the film. Actually, just you and uh, Hans Manship, who played Casey. Yeah. Everyone else either ignored me or uh, gave me this, the auspicious, uh, no, I didn't do anything with that movie, even though you can yeah. obviously tell it was them from, right. their, from their photographs. <laughs> right. But uh, Well, I'm, and I'm sure some of them are probably a little bit embarrassed about it. Exactly. You know? I mean, I, I wouldn't be. I mean, No, I, I, don't, I don't see any reason to be embarrassed. I mean, you know, it wasn't the greatest film in the world, but, you know, if, if only the greatest films were ever made, we'd see about one movie a year. And... Uh, you know, uh, uh, my memory of this movie was that it was it was entertaining if you like that sort of thing. Uh, you know, and it and it paid my bills. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> you know? absolutely. And kept me busy and was a, a a great learning experience because it was I think my second film that I worked on and and I learned a lot about acting and I learned a lot about film production and I learned a lot about pretty much every aspect of the business. Once this is, uh, we're recording for House of Death this Sunday, mm-hmm. on April third, and we're going to integrate it into the podcast. So uh, once that's okay. on, once that's online, I can send you a link if you'd like to listen. I'd love to. All right, I'd love to. All right, Kurt, uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks again. Well, that was great. Oh, um, thanks, Joseph, for um, doing that. We've got another interview coming up shortly with um, Hans Manship, um, which should be great. Um, so, Joseph, what else do you want to tell us about um, House of Death? Um, I think I've pretty much covered it all. You know, I did these both of these interviews, and I got a lot of information, and they they relay a lot of information. And um, I don't know, it, House of Death uh, kind of gets a lot of flack, and I think it's a little unfair. Now, in the middle portion, it, it is a little slow, but you know, I come to love the characters so much that uh, it doesn't bother me anymore. I mean, I can watch those carnival scenes, and I get a kick out of them. And um, I mean, that's pretty much you know. Can I just add that um, in your interview with Kurt there, uh, you mentioned that, of course, everyone knows who Ozzy and Harriet are. I have no idea who Ozzy and Harriet are. I said everyone. I said everyone. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know who they are, Justin. No, I have no idea who they are. I have no idea. It's not like the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch came over here and Potch family, but not Ozzy and Harriet. I have no idea who they were. No. Are they? What were they? Were they? Is it like a sitcom? Sort of like a Leave It to Beaver type show from the 60s, or sort of like Brady Bunch, maybe one of those wholesome. We didn't get Leave It to Beaver either. 
No, nice. I am aware of Leave It to Beaver, though. But it's a wholesome family values '60s, '50s sitcom mm, right. that were so prevalent back in the day. So it's kind of a bit weird to have um, somebody from from it. What was he? Did he play the son or something in it? Or, or was I'm he? Sorry? Was he Ozzy or Harriet or who was he? And <laughs> I really was Harriet. Was he Harriet? Okay. <laughs> he was Harriet. He I was really the son. Remember. He was the son of Ozzy and Harriet, I think. Yeah, whoever, because okay. they were a couple, yeah. weren't they? I believe in I real life. So. Yeah. I never actually watched the show. I mean, I I might have watched it once or twice when I was a child, but uh, what was it on in the fifties, sixties? Yeah, I was a child in the fifties. No, but I mean, it's a yeah, I thought so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was the fifties or sixties. I'm not too sure. I believe okay. it was the late fifties, early sixties. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of weird, you know, him going from this TV wholesome thing and directing this shoddy uh, gore filled slasher film, which it's kind of interesting, actually. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, are we going to? Are we going to? I mean, we every week we spoil who the killer is. Um, obviously, well, Kurt already spoiled it in the interview. Obviously, of course, but, yeah. Uh, so, um, but I, 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 know, think, I know Eric had some issues with who the killer was, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I watched it in the first time I watched it this week. I watched it in installments, and when, by the time I got to the end, I couldn't, I couldn't identify who the killer was. So I had to email you, and so I didn't make fool of myself on the podcast, it, going, "Oh yeah, obviously the killer was Ramona." Yeah, it was. Um, it was the sheriff. I mean, he killed himself at the end. <laughs> it was uh, Coach Neil Marshall. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I love this is what I kind of love about, uh, you know, is there any other slasher movie that has a killer having a naked shower scene? I <laughs> because it's it kind of complete role reversal, isn't it? You've actually oh, got. Oh, I can it. name one. Oh, can you? What, what films? Uh, Terrorize, aka Night School. Oh, yeah, yeah, of well, course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ramona comes up and Neil's having a shower and mm. she's trying to seduce him. He's like, well, maybe I'm just not into cheap thrills, Ramona. And, but he uh, likes walking around hacking people with machetes. He's <laughs> into cheap thrills. He's doing something. But it's just what about of... that scene uh, where the, is it is it Susan Cogger, the waitress, or was it Jennifer Chase? Well, where she goes outside to, one of them goes outside to get a cat or something, mm. or, or there's a cat outside. And when she walks back into the bar, the killer like hits the screen with a, a machete. <laughs> That's just such a weird scene to me because how did really you not notice her, he was standing there following yeah. her? I thought it was the old lady, one of the old ladies of the fair, because they hit the machete. It was such a little kind of like uh, it's sort of like a real <laughs> yeah, kind of like it was barely, you know barely hit that screen. <laughs> it's like the killer had had um, you know me or something. You know, it was kind of it just there was no you know. It's like saying if Jason or Michael or Freddie or someone had been there, they wouldn't have just let a screen door stop them. You know, killing. Um, the other thing which I thought which I loved about um, which I thought was so bizarre, such a bizarre choice, um, is there was what I really liked in the film. There's the music was um, obviously really bombastic, but there was that kind of that. And if you notice that rumble throughout some of the scenes, that kind of early 80s um, electronica rumble that you get in quite a lot of slasher movies. Is that what which, you're talking about? Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's sort of like, yeah. and it's towards the end, which I really like. But then they do this really bizarre kind of flip with the music, and then they have steel drums, like Jamaican steel drums, <laughs> as they're walking towards the graveyard in North Carolina. And you're thinking, who on earth decided to have Jamaican steel drums? <laughs> <laughs> during that scene what, 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 why why what was what's the thought behind that it just kind of it was so bizarre and one of the other things i wanted to say about the film which hasn't i don't been mentioned um has a little bit i was going to say that um 
Joseph's also um, done these interviews, but there's also uh, a text version on Hysteria Lives. So if you want to um, head over there to read those, they were worth reading as well. Um, yeah, those can be for the people who don't listen to our show. We know who you are. We know who you are, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the Owensby um, Studios, if I was saying the right thing, they, I think it's before this film, maybe it's after, but it shared quite a lot of the cast, was um, A Day of Judgment which was the first, or and only, as far as I'm aware, Christian slasher movie set in the 1920s. Right, um, and, um, in the upcoming interview with Hans that we're going to play, he mentions mm. a, little, a little bit about Day of Judgment. Mm. Have, you, have you guys seen Day of Judgment? Yeah, it's yeah. a.k.a. Uh, Stormbringer, I think we got it really? just yes. in the way. Yeah, that's right. No offense to uh, Hans or anyone involved, but I really thought it was kind of uh, uh, turgid, maybe. Yeah, I think that's a, a kind way of putting it. It's not a good. It's certainly <laughs> it's not, no house not of death. It's no house of death, and that's damning with Frank. Yes, Frank I agree. Frank. It's no house of death, but I still thought it was all right. I like the twist at the end. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, no, it was it was kind of good idea. It was just kind of um, it just it was just long stretches of nothing I agree. Really going it, on. It has dull parts in it. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, are we going to talk a little bit about Susan Kiger and um, her notoriety? I do have something I want to say. Um, not a lot of people know this, but Susan Kiger is the first Playboy Playmate to have done one hardcore pornography scene before she became a Playmate. And whereas some Playmates like Terry Weigel did hardcore after they were Playmates. So she's kind of famous for doing pornography before she was a Playmate. And, yeah. and this is her last film, wasn't it? it? I don't think she did anything else. In the, uh, I don't. I'm not sure. She did a um, an oral sex scene in the early '70s, I believe, before she became a playmate, and then she right. used her playmate notoriety to land um, the House of Death role. So, uh, well, when I was that's, looking, that's from what I understand from research, anyway. Yeah, because one of the things I was, I was looking on IMDb, and obviously you know how you know whatever it's it, you know you just take a pinch of salt. But there was somebody saying that they'd um, written to uh, one of the cast called Monica Boston. I think she played one of the teenagers, uh, Sheila, which I've got no idea which character that was. Um, but she said um, that David Nelson was very nice but quiet on set, um, and Susan Kiger was always worried her thighs were too fat. So there you go. <laughs> it's kind of. So it's kind of. Um, She's been eating a lot of chunky Kit Kat. Well, she didn't. She didn't go. She, when, you, when you saw saw her in the film, you, for a play girl, you would have thought she would have been the one, you know, play, um, you know, being in Playboy. She she would have been the one that um, would have got, um, you know, the wet brazier like uh, Ramona did. But um, no, she didn't. So, um, but that was. The, I, it's very difficult to pick up anything on this film at all, apart from the other. Which you you mentioned in one of your interviews, Joseph, about the um, the Playboy connection, because the film was originally titled, um, from what I saw in Variety, this is what um, it said that it was originally titled Night Screams, and because Playboy had the title to Night Screams, why, what kind of what they were going to do with it, I don't know, um, they forced them to change it to Death Screams, which is probably a better title. Um, I spoke with Hans about that. He yeah. wasn't aware, but I think he. What he, his response in the interview coming up was pretty sufficient of information, I guess. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's it's kind of one of those kind of weird things when you look back through Variety archives, and it's the kind of weird things that they kind of throw up. Um, so I've got this cat trying to break into the room as as per usual. So <laughs> hello, Gilbert. Um, <laughs> so, um, is there anything else we want to talk about um, House of Death before we get to the next interview? Yeah, I just wanted to say. Oh, sorry, Joseph. Go no, ahead. You go ahead. I- Go ahead. Okay. 
I just wanted to say, I always thought the scene was weird when Lily decides to tell her grandmother that she knows the truth about um, the, the her dad's picture that her grandmother's been showing her. And she says, what is it, um, the photo of my dad? And uh, the grandmother's like, yes. She goes, I saw a whole store full of them in Savannah when I was eight. So I'm thinking she's carried this secret for 10 years, and she decides just one night, you know, while her grandmother's sitting there knitting, just to finally tell her the truth. I don't know why, but that scene always seems kind of strange to me. Like an eight-year-old wouldn't question that. Yeah, but it's always those kind of of weird, it's almost like they're trying to throw um, doubt on who who the killer was and what, what kind of motive. And actually, what was the killer's motive? There was a, I mean, his mother thought, was a prostitute. His mother, right? His yeah. mother was a whore. But why did he? Is so he just? Kind of he, he just I think he thought all women were whores. Oh, yeah, by the end, kill him. It was That's one of those ones, it. wasn't it? Sluts this, slut that, which is kind of one of the get-out clauses for the slash early eighties mm. slasher movie, isn't it? You just um, had a thing against loose women, I guess. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of weird, isn't it? When you think, well, Ramona threw him, threw herself at him, and he had the perfect opportunity to kill her. You know, and he didn't. So, it, but then, you know, it's you, you don't really think of things like that in movie in, in slash no. films. No, exactly. Then that's what part of the joy of them, isn't it? Is the fact is you can suspend disbelief and um, have a, a good time with them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know, well, most of us can. So, um, um, <laughs> but uh, but the other thing I was going to say, one of the things that I remember was that um, uh, the in in the British DVD. Uh, the reels were mixed around, and already this film's pretty disjointed. But the um, it's never had a decent DVD release, but it's been released loads of times. Maybe it's public domain, I don't know. But it's um, it got released with the reels around the wrong way. But apparently, it was shown on American cable back in the eighties with the reels around the wrong way, with a lot of things cut out and some on additional the arts bits and the entertainment channel. It was it, yeah, yeah, and it's so maybe that's what was put, put out onto DVD in the um, the UK, but apparently you've got scenes where um, people who've been killed are back in it and things like that, and it's just kind of it obviously makes even less sense than it does you know does at the moment. Um, um, the... Mention that. Go ahead, Eric. Sorry, I was just, I was just going to say on a tangent that uh, ITV, which is one of the big commercial broadcasters in Britain, uh, broadcast. Perfect, the Jamie Lee Curtis and John Travolta film with the reels all out of sequence. It made it even more tremendously brilliant, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I was going to mention, um, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Justin, because, you know, A&E, the Arts and Entertainment Channel, they have these high-end biographies on actors and directors, and they have these, um, you know, high-class, high this and that. And for some bizarre reason, of all the movies they could choose to run, uh, slasher movies, they chose House of Death. And I never understood that. And I never saw it on A&E, but certainly a lot of people have because it's kind of common knowledge now. And I always thought that was really bizarre. It's a, it's a weird it's, well, it's a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. I suppose it must have financial reasons, wasn't it? But, it's like... Um, I'm Peter Graves, and you're watching uh, a biography on Elizabeth Taylor. And then yeah. coming up next, House of Death. House of Death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I also say, Justin, that yeah. I recently bought a box set. or It's not been too recent, but I bought a box set, and it said uh, Death Screams on it. And I thought, oh, could that be yeah. House of Death? And I bought it and took it home and put it in the DVD player. And it, just like what you were saying, the reels were all mixed up. I mean, uh, I was very good. pissed off when I... Mm. paid money for that and got that crappy version and also they butchered every death scene mm. you they showed no death scene at all 
You know, it would. It I mean, the, it would just characters would just disappear basically. It must be the TV version they must have put on there, mustn't it? Which is probably the one that ended up yeah. on the, the British DVD. Um, but um, what's the, the other thing I was going to say is obviously we can't go without mentioning the the fat sheriff. Um, because what slasher movie, early 80s slasher movie, would be complete without a butterball fat sheriff huffing and puffing? And, of course, the fantastic bit we, we haven't mentioned yet um, is the end where the sheriff runs up. He doesn't know anyone's dead, presumably. He runs up somehow. He goes to the house. I don't know how he knows he's going to get there. He huffs and he puffs and he goes there. The killer, in a in a pratfall, which is kind of like um, um, you know, like some others do have or something, he kind of attacks someone with a machete, falls through a window, crashes down, ends up somehow in the basement. I'm not quite sure how that works actually, but and then the sheriff opens the door and sees sees the killer, the coach, and for some reason shoots him dead. Um, we know he's the killer. I don't know how the sheriff knew, but he shoots him and his head explodes in a kind of in a really cheapo dime store scanners type of way. But then he proceeds after his head explodes, shooting him three or four more again, times. And again. And again. And again. <laughs> yes. and I noticed that, yeah. And you're thinking, so, well, okay, he's dead. Obviously, you're wasting your bullets. I mean, how are you going to explain that to ballistics down at the station? Uh, I'm sorry, I wasted four bullets. Um, exactly. Take it out of my paycheck. That's that's kind of overkill, isn't it? That's overkill. <laughs> and of course, and another the... thing I wanted to mention about the hmm. sheriff is when he finds um, Casey uh, dead, he does this scream when the body falls. He's like, ah! And I always thought that was hilarious. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's it's brilliant. And and of course, the um, as I think we said is we it would have been you know Susan Kiger was um, I think as the uh, the people you interviewed they said that you know she wasn't any great actress and she's a bit aloof on set. But Ramona, the woman who played Ramona, was was lovely. Um, but um, Ramona's demise, where she gets hacked in half after she falls through the stairs um, by presumably with a kid of a machete, which is a pretty horrible way to go. Um, and they pull her back out, and she's been chopped in half. Um, and, you know, I did wonder whether or not uh, Michelle Suave, if that's how you pronounce it, the director of um, The Wonderful Stage Fright, the Italian um, late 80s slasher, Jalo uh, mashup, um, had actually watched that film because there's a great scene, uh, in, a similar scene in that film where a woman is chopped in half and her friends pull her back out and uh, realise that she's been, well, essentially chopped in half. Um, I think I think that scene is done in um, Alien Resurrection as well, if memory serves me correctly. Well, this is yeah, they House just, of they Death. They just borrow is... the cast from the, the, the Ramona cast. They just use it in the same movie over. Yes. Over yeah. <laughs> well, see, House of Death was, you know, was that's why it was on TV. People were seeing it and nicking bits from it. So um, it was, uh, you know, it was one of those films that really, um, you, know, you know. It's a trendsetter. It's a trendsetter. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, well, I think we're kind of um, we'll think of trying to think of a few more things to say about House of Death, or we'll wrap things up. Um, uh, you want to play that Hans interview? Yeah, I was going to say, Joseph, do you want to introduce, uh, introduce the the next interview? Yeah. Uh, before I do that, I just want to uh, give a shout out to my brother uh, Scott. Um, now, when I recorded these interviews, my sound card is a little iffy. I'm kind of working on getting a new one, um, but what it did is um, Skype, it was Skype to phone, it created these really bad sync errors. And basically, after I recorded the interviews, I thought they were ruined because the, the sync was out of whack. There were dropouts everywhere. And my brother, who's a really, really experienced audio engineer, it's like, well, let me take a look at them. And, and within five minutes, he had them fixed, you know, just like that. So uh, thank you for helping me out with that, Scott. And I know you're listening now. So uh, there's your shout-out. Excellent. And, excellent. Uh, anyway, um, you want to go ahead and play the Hans Manship interview? Here we go. 
All right, I'm here with Hans Manship from House of Death. He played Casey, Crazy Casey, in the film, and he's going to be answering a couple of questions for me today. So um, thanks for being here, Hans. Well, hi, Joseph. I'm glad to be here. All right, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with House of Death and uh, what year you remember shooting took place? Uh, I think they shot it in 81 in the summertime. I was an actor living out here in, in the Hollywood area, the greater Los Angeles area in the early 80s. And I heard of this project from some actor friends of mine who had gotten to know the writer uh, named Paul Elliott. He's a great guy, turned out to become a good friend for many years. And then I learned from Paul that uh, David Nelson from Ozzy and Harriet fame, he was set to direct it. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool, David Nelson directing a horror film. So, <laughs> And the third clincher was that it was going to be filmed on location at Earl Owensby's EO Studios in Shelby, North Carolina. This is uh, kind of a self-made man, and he built sound stages and water tanks and several things there. They shot some of the underwater sequences for the movie Titanic in his uh, studio. So it had some decent facilities. And I was in, I was and I was born in North Carolina, and I still had family there. So I thought this would be great if I could go home to North Carolina and uh, do a project. And uh, so that's kind of how uh, how it all started. I knew they were casting many of the major roles in the Atlanta area, but a few from Los Angeles. It was a low-budget film. Um, Joseph, this is something I learned early on in my career. Anything that I could do that would make me stand out among the hundreds of other actors, any way I could help, that usually made a difference. And a lot of roles I ended up playing was because I came up with something different. I got a role in, in a film one time because I had a certain uniform or could get access to it, and so they cast me in the role. So all kinds of fun stuff like that. But it was, uh, uh, it was good to uh, go to North Carolina and do the film. Now, I was originally in line to play the role of Diddle. That's what I thought I was. That's who I thought I was going to play. But I later learned that Paul uh, Elliott, the writer, had written in this role of Casey, the brain-damaged kid, with me in mind. And so uh, that's the role I ended up playing. And I never played a role like that. And it, it had some challenges. I did some research. And um, I kind of enjoyed playing the role. It, it was good. So that's what I know about that. I was doing some research, and it appears that uh, I think you said the original uh, shooting title was Night Screams. Is that correct? Around the set, that's the title that was being used, uh, Night Screams. Now, I heard that, uh, now I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I heard that uh, Playboy had the rights to that title and forced the film to change to uh, Death Screams or House of Death. Do you know anything about that? Oh, I never heard anything like that. Uh, they they certainly could have. 
Um, and the little I know about things like that and, and titles, it's very hard to copyright a title. Um, thus, you see many songs and many books, many films with the same title sometimes. They, that doesn't mean that uh, the Playboy organization with all of their clout could not have put pressure on this low-budget production and, uh, and they decided to change the name just to avoid, you know, getting into some kind of uh, battle with them. And the name really is, to me, that not that significant. Uh, House of Death was, I think, what they ended up with. Uh, uh, Death Screams was another title, and that always seemed more apropos. House of Death didn't really apply to the movie until, you know, the very last part of the film. But that's that's what the guys ended up choosing. Were you aware that the film was released in some markets with the reels mixed up? Like, uh, for example, uh, I believe in the UK it was released with, like, sequences out of order. Boy, I didn't know that, Joseph. Uh, that's real interesting. That would make it, uh, that would make it nuts to go try to figure, <laughs> try to figure it out. Here's what I do know about that. Um, some of the confusion, as I understand it, uh, talking with my, my friend David Nelson, who I just learned recently died in January. Uh, I, di I didn't know that. Uh, he was a good guy. He was not involved in the final editing of the film and putting it together, and he was disappointed in that. Uh, I'm not sure why that's the way it happened, but uh, I do know the director was the creative mind behind the film and uh, worked with the writer. And, you know, you're designing scenes to flow together. And in a low-budget film, there's not going to be a lot of extra time and money spent on shooting all kinds of sequences and then later figuring out which, what to use and what not to use. So when you take the director... Who, who put it together and shot it with a certain order in mind, you take him out of the equation, you've got all kinds of continuity problems and uh, confusing cuts, things like that. So uh, that may be why there were a lot of questions from a, from a viewing audience. I think... Uh, 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 I think David Nelson's lack of involve, involvement may have been a matter of budget restraints. I don't know, but uh, we were really glad that it finally got uh, finally got into the theaters. Do you remember any particular scenes that may have been cut from the film uh, that you remember they shot but didn't show up in the movie? I I do not remember any film. The only parts that I remember that were shot that did not end up in the film were shots that were fun shots, the cast goofing off. Now, these were to be shown during the credits. Uh, you know how they'll roll some credits and then they'll show a little scene. Well, these are goofy shots of the cast, me not being brain damaged, me being funny, and some of the other guys being funny, even out of character, just to show some uh just to show some fun to the audience that we had making this uh making this slasher film and and those never ended up in the film in the final cut 
that's all I know that was shot. And like I said earlier, they didn't have a lot of money in, in most low-budget films to shoot a lot of extra things. They pretty much follow the script or what sequences they're going to shoot, and they may shoot a little padding here in case there's a problem and a few extra angles, but not a lot of extra shots uh, in a low-budget film. Right, right. Um, okay. Uh do you keep in touch with anyone from the film, or do you do you happen to know uh, a couple of people who listen to the show, and one in particular who uh, participates on the show? We've kind of been wondering whatever became of uh, Jennifer Chase. She played Ramona, and uh, Sheriff uh, William, William, William T. Hicks, I'm sorry, tongue-tied, who played uh, Sheriff Avery. Do you know what happened to them? You know, I've kind of lost touch over the years. I, I left that side of the industry, and uh, I did a, did a couple of films with uh, Bill Hicks. Um, he, was a, he was a professional guy and a very likable guy. In, uh, in uh, House of Death, he played, and I think it comes through in the film during a, a scene that he actually is my father. And we did a film together called Day of Judgment, and um, he actually played a banker in that film, and I played, this is in the 1920s, I played uh, an Amish Mennonite farmer, and the banker, the bad banker, was taking away my land, and so we were in opposition to each other in that film. But, uh, yeah, Bill Hicks was a good guy, very professional, and uh, enjoyed working with him. Lost touch with him. I think he did several films with EO uh, and did a couple of other uh, bigger budget films, but I uh, haven't heard from him in years. Now, Jennifer, Jennifer was a sweetheart. She was down to earth, very likable, very real, very fun gal. I stayed in touch with her for a while after the film back here in Hollywood because she came from Hollywood. She wasn't cast in Atlanta. And so we stayed a little bit, encouraged each other in the in the business, and um, met up for dinner a couple of times just as friends to, you know, see what we were up to. But eventually, I lost touch with her. But yeah, I thought a lot of Jennifer. She was a very beautiful woman. Do you uh, okay, do you remember um, like any behind the scenes anecdotes or kind of? juicy tidbits that you can recall happening when the cameras weren't, weren't rolling? The thing that uh, I enjoyed working with David Nelson, he was also kind of a reserved guy. But uh, for some reason, David liked me. He talked to me privately about how, for some reason, I reminded him of his good buddy, um, Peter Laurie. Now, I remember Peter Laurie. He's a little guy, and he kind of talked like this. And uh, he did a lot of a lot of horror films. Well, he worked with David Nelson in a movie called Big Circus, and Nelson played a flying trapeze artist. He was the catcher, and evidently David liked this so much that he kind of pulled out of show business for a while, a year or so, and he was he trained and was a professional catcher. Uh, in a in a circus for a while. That's what he said. Um, on the set, we noticed that he was uh, he had his shoe off and and uh, was on one of his it was his right foot, and he uh, 
didn't really say anything. He just directed the scenes, and the day went on several hours, but we didn't know why his shoe was off. Something had fallen, a big uh, cinder block had fallen on his foot. I think it was a cinder block, and it fractured the metatarsals and uh, broken his foot. And he was in pain, but he didn't say a word. He just kept on going all day. And then later on, after shooting in the evening, uh, went to the hospital, and uh, and they took care of it. And he finished the film without any trouble. But uh, I thought that was pretty admirable. He uh, he got the job done, and he, he gave it his all. So he was a good man. He created a very good atmosphere on the set, and that's important for a director to do. It made all of the actors feel comfortable and wanted to give their best performances for him. He was good to work with. So that's an anecdote I remember that impressed me uh, from that director. Oh, very cool, very cool. Um, all right, well, um, I don't really want to take up too much more of your time, so I'm just going to... Uh say I, I really appreciate it and uh, I'm just going to kind of wrap up here and kind of kind of give you maybe a chance to say uh, maybe what you what you do these days or uh, anything like that if you'd like yeah I've uh, been on the other side of the camera and the microphone for many years now and uh, I'm working in the administrative side of radio and I'm presently with a Christian ministry, a radio program that works in third world countries, uh, 30-some countries. We we help the poor and the orphans, medical aid and such, some of the hardest hit people, and especially when there's a disaster. And it's really rewarding. I'm enjoying it and have for years. It kind of feels good to be involved in something that's bigger than I am. So that's what I'm up to. That's very admirable. Um, but uh, once again, I really do appreciate it. And um, it was really good talking to you and hearing some stories about the film. And um, when this is done and edited, we're editing on Sunday. Uh, if you'd like, I can send you a link and you can listen if you like. That would be great. I'd love to. Well, it's been, I, I appreciate what you're doing. It's great. You know, I love movies and I know a lot of movie fans out there. I'm one. And learning behind-the-scenes things from films, it's always fun, and it just uh, makes, it, uh, uh, makes it more enjoyable. This uh, House of Death was a low-budget film, you know, had a lot of flaws in it, but uh, it was nice to play a, a, a decent role, a good, challenging role in it, and uh, I'm, I'm glad I did the film. Well, keep up the good work. I'll certainly try, and um, thanks again. Great, and that's Hans Manship, uh, Joseph talking to yet another one of the uh, survivors, well, real survivors of House of Death. So um, we're going to wrap yeah, things up in a minute. Sorry, sorry. yeah, I'm Joseph. So <laughs> I'm sorry, I just want to say, uh, give a thanks to Kurt and Hans for taking their time, and um, they, they're, they're actually on my Facebook friends list now, and um, I'm going to send them the link to this, and I think they'll really enjoy that, and I, I really enjoyed talking to them, and they were both really really kind there are excellent interviewees i have to say fantastic yes. lots of it. i mean hopefully people will you know in, enjoy those i mean I, I found them really interesting i mean so did i yeah um, but i mean as also just to whet people's appetite we won't say yet who we've got lined up but we have at least 
in the bag we have one interview with um, probably one of the best known um, people from early 80s slash movies and we've got a few more interviews with people um, lined up which I think if you love early 80s slash movies and if you don't why on earth are you listening to this um, then you are going to love these. So, um, I mean, I think this is a lead in for, uh, Eric's, uh, dirty dancing podcast. So they have to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's called, you can find it. At I carried a watermelon.com. <gasps> right. Well, we should look, we should look forward to that. We should look forward to that. So is there anything else we want to say about the, uh, I was just doing some, um, yeah. quick research on it to see what films, because this opened in May of 1982 yeah. in the States. I assume it got a theatrical release. I, I actually um, have the film poster. I've got, I've got the, original one sheet uh, the American one sheet under the title Death Screams which has got a great painted face of a woman screaming um, but yeah there you go that's which you'll see on the History Lives it's under one of the one of the interviews um, either with Hans or Kurt um, it's my poster but uh, sorry Eric sorry I was just seeing what was happening that month in slasher movie history and the only thing I could come up with was that it opened the same month as Visiting Hours oh, you know the Michael Ironside yeah. Lee Grant movie yeah. but also Justin this will be of interest to you oh. This was it opened the same month that Susie and the Banshees released the single Fireworks, Fantastic. which made number twenty-two in the charts, and it would have made number twenty-one if it wasn't for a certain Toya Wilcox and her hit <laughs> single Brave New World. So there. Ha ha ha. Well, there's nothing. Um, I think well, Susie and the Banshees had about twenty or thirty top. Uh, um, blah, blah, blah 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 blah. How many did Toya have? <laughs> How many did Toya have? I wonder. Um, uh, she had forty billion, actually. Did she? Well, <laughs> yeah. she had great. Her. She had great hair. She did have great hair. Well, I, I, actually, Eric, I've got a little surprise for you now because I'm going yeah. to play for you a clip of Toya live from the Wims Institute in um, Cheltenham. <laughs> we um, no, I won't. But uh, she, she did. She yeah. was on uh, our local news at the Wims Institute. Um, I don't think Susie would do that. Um, she has some. She's, she's too busy collecting the doll. <laughs> Just too, too busy collecting a royalty. A little bit of everything for everything. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm sure our listeners don't want to listen to us <laughs> bickering about um, about you know uh, washed up old has been and so. Um, so uh, <laughs> that was me gasping. <laughs> oh, finally, <laughs> finally, the gasp is back. Um, yeah. Right, and fi- the last thing I want to say about House of Death was which I thought was a real shame is normally we play a trailer on the show. We couldn't find a trailer. I looked around. There was some. I found a bizarre uh, trailer for House of Death, but it was some bizarre Russian vampire movie um but i was wondering i was wondering um what would be really good it'd be good fun to actually try and cut together a fan trailer for house of death so um you i was know. going to do that but i didn't really have the time so no, no, maybe well, next I, maybe the next time well i can i can do be, house of death part two i can be asked either but maybe somebody would maybe one of our you know, millions of listeners will um do something and surprise us so um so yeah yeah, so guys, have we got anything else we'd like to say before we wrap it up? Because I think we're we're probably over the two hour mark here with the with the interviews lo- and everything. I think we lost Nathan again. Oh no, oh, you're there. You're no. there, Nathan. <laughs> there he is. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've had a few. I've, sound I've, issues. Been, I've been listening. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm honing in on my listening skills. Well, I was going to say that we've had a few sound issues because um, we've already said it in in the past, but. Um, is that we're doing this on Skype and um, Joseph and Nathan are in the States, I'm in the UK and um, Eric's in some funny little island in the Atlantic somewhere. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of, so we do have sound issues, but um, so we've had a few Skype dropouts, um, but uh, I think it's all come together nicely. So if you um, don't like it, lick our nuts. Exactly, exactly. The iPad so, saved me. The iPad yes. saved you, yes. 
So, um, well, thanks for listening. And what we're going to do is we will play out with um, a little bit more of that fantastic music from House of Death.